Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. It's much easier to be a, a reasonable parent when it's sunny. Like, I don't care what anybody says, but if we lived in Australia, I'd be super dad. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Friday morning, Adrian here and Shane over there. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning. How are things? All good. What's happening? Asher Flint. Yeah. What's the plan for the weekend? Uh, weekend festival plans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you banging on about this during the week. Yeah. Uh, trying to get yourself an upgrade. Did anything, anything nah. happen out of that or no? No, it's, I don't even want an upgrade. You're not enough of a celebrity, like? No, I'm definitely not. I'm not an Adrian Barry type here, you know. I get out of um, it. Crabby quiz favourite. Uh, yeah, three nights in the tent is going to be interesting. Right. It's giving a little bit of rain, I think, late tonight into early tomorrow morning. Without getting into too much personal information, uh, which I know you've also yeah, done a little bit of this week. But, well, unintentionally, thanks, shape, yeah. uh, You're fairly standard. Oh, it's standard two-man tent. Two-man tent, yeah. yeah. With the, but the, going for the full double airbed. Oh, yeah. Just for the full comfort. What's the forecast for the weekend uh, weather? I think 9pm tonight till 6am tomorrow morning is going to be iffy. Oof. But at least we'll have, we'll have the tents up and, you know, oh, all today. If with it rains at all, particularly in that type of a tent. I know. You're kidding yourself if you don't think that's coming in at some stage or another. The double airbed hopefully will keep me slightly above the, the wetness underneath, but we should be grand. Should I was be at grand. Pulp on Friday, uh, Friday night. Oh, yeah. Oh, savage gig. Throwback. Brilliant gig. Bit of nostalgia. Yeah, I would... I might have them... Obviously, Oasis v Blur was the big Ooh. debate at that time. You're about, you're about to say something outrageous, I feel. Uh, yeah, and I kind of I kind of believe that to be... I, they, were, they were very much... Um, I think that, here we go. Take, take a <laughs> cup of tea, everyone. I feel it's such an outrageous thing to say that I've, I've, I feel a bit of trepidation. Get about the clipper, get the clipper. I don't know that I. So I would have had Oasis ahead of Blur, right? Okay. And I might have had Oasis and Pulp on roughly the same pedestal. Ooh, wow. A Pulp Jeez. are just savage and and get off that fence. Choose one of them. Even, there. even now, Jarvis Cocker is an amazing. Like when he comes out at the start and you see the silhouette, you're like, oh my god. It, this guy still looks like he did when he was 25. Yeah, that helps. When the close-up comes in, you're okay. Yeah. Right. There's a few grey hairs and you're okay. If you had to choose one, Oasis or Pulp, who you I know you're, you're pushing me on that one. Well, um, I'd probably go with Pulp. Right. Interesting. Uh, let's throw that out there. Jesus. Um, very good, though. Very good. Played most different class. Mm. Different class. Yeah, um, And uh, they really were. They were just an exceptionally good live band. How long did they play for? Um, about an hour and a half. It's Malahide more. Castle, no? Yeah, um, St Anne's Park. St Anne's Park, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just a brilliant, lovely summer evening buzz to it. Winkle Leicester, yeah. Brilliant uh, evening out, I must say. That's grand. Says, you know, middle-aged man. Everybody around me, also in their middle age, uh, it was... Uh, it you were all dancing the same way, were you? Did yeah. the dad dance? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah, a lot of this, a lot of this one. I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious about that, like, because I'm, I'm obviously not a father yet, but like, do you get like an email with instructions as to how to, to do all that sort of thing? Do you know, like... The dad dance? Dad dance. It just seems to come naturally, to be honest. There's no pack or anything like that. You just... Happens. just happens, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, are you? Are you? What did you, what did you just say? No, I was just thinking about it. I wasn't did you sure. Did you use the F word? Then? No, I didn't. Use Sorry, the I thought no, you no. muttered the F word under your breath. No, no. Um, <laughs> are you? Are you? Sorry, you're obviously offering yourself forward here as 
oh, you know, I'm such a good dancer now. That well, no, I'm, 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 that's, that's my point. I'm terrible. But Well, uh, that's that. Just carry on through life. Yeah, See, I don't okay, feel fair. as if I, I'm, I'm any worse or better dancer now than I was when I was a right. book. So you haven't like, changed. I was fair. never any good. Okay. That's yeah, John was at Fesh Mode the other night as well, so yeah. there was a bit of... Bit of nostalgia in the office this week. Brilliant with music. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Anyway, enough for that. Um, although, if people want to contribute, they're Let let's know. call it a pulp versus oasis. Where I know where that, I know where that conversation's going already. I know I'm an outlier. I get that. There's no need to hammer me about it. Interesting, um, but that's my opinion. Um, a lot of the back pages today. Needless to say, we've pa- a stag show come up. By the way, will we just do that first and let people know what's happening, and then we can get into the papers. We've Ronan Agar standing by in about six minutes' time, and he's going to jump on to talk to us about. Uh, probably the biggest game in his career and they always say it's the biggest because it's the next but it's Toulouse in the top 14 final tomorrow night in Paris and it'll be an absolute humdinger and we'll get Ron's thoughts on that live in the show in just a few minutes time Nathan Murphy is going to join us live in the line from Greece uh, we'll see exactly um, what sort of a, uh, the lie of the land there is ahead of the game tonight um, and expectations team lineup, all that kind of thing uh, from 8 Pat Spillane will be with us uh, after that the Sligo footballer Pat Spillane uh, we haven't had him I don't think on the show before so a good opportunity on the eve of their game against the Dubs in the final game of the group stages of the All-Ireland Championship we'll get his thoughts on that um, we'll do a little bit more on the sports pages for you at 20 to 9 Morris Brosnan the senior sports writer with the examiner will be with us at 10 to 9 this morning and that'll be a preview of uh, that final round of games in the All-Ireland uh, football group stages and then Will O'Callaghan will be on and he's going to update his power, hurling power rankings for 2023 and Melissa Farrell then at half past nine from the show last night um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, update. I tried to get. I tried to tap him for some information last night. Give me a bit of a steer as to what was going to happen. Will, yeah, very keeping his cards very, very close. These lads think too much about it, don't they? They just need to yeah. just point and just pick the team. Drive people insane. Well, the reputation is on the line. To be fair, they have to. They have to put some thought behind it. Um, oh. But no, Tommy. Tommy's done all right. Uh, you know, Galway number one. I don't think anyone can argue with. So. Uh, as long as your first page is correct, like he was getting a bit of slack maybe from Wexford fans this week, uh, rightfully so, Um, and then Leash fans as well maybe find themselves still, I think, still behind Fermanagh after beating them last weekend, so it's maybe not as reactive as some Cardi fans would hope, but uh, we'll see how Will will fares this week. Well, I do buy the logic of it being hard to shift the power rankings. It can't be reactive. Why can't can't it? Because it's got to be an in-the-round sense of, you can't just go... Sligo beat Dublin this weekend. We got to get Sligo into no, the top three. No, but if teams are of a similar enough level, like Sligo, are obviously a level, uh, you know, below Dublin for sure. So I, I think a few things need to come into it. Like if West Meath beat a team in, in Division Three, and they still sat behind them, I think you'd be you'd be kicking up a fuss. But ah, look, I'd be kicking up a fuss no matter what's the going usual, on. Usual, yeah. Uh, Michael says Pulp were great live and had a few songs that were classics. Blur has some amazing songs, especially the early stuff. I go with that. While Oasis were solid for years, all great bands. But the Verve were on another level, IMO. Jeez, right? Well, that's... Um, I mean, I, I think certainly something in that. They were they burned brightly and for a short period of time, the Verve. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, there we go. Um, and Frank says, Shane, it's passed down... Uh, it's a passed down handbook. It's called the Dad Book. Dad Book, right. Yeah, yeah I know. I, my dad never gave that to me. Uh, must, maybe it's when you have kids yourself that day you're just handed it. Yeah, or just arrives. You get no manual. That's they give you a manual when you get a dishwasher. You I'll get tell you no what, manual I, when you get a kitchen. I know I'll be listening back no matter what. Actually, Dadcast, of course. Exactly, that's that's what I was just about to say. Yeah. I'll be listening back to episodes of the Dadcast. Well, I think at some point we're going to kill the Dadcast because uh, I think we all have a concern that at some point, and for some of the lads whose kids are older than mine, that will be coming down the track very shortly. That kids, kids will be able to listen back age. to it, and you. 
don't think really about that. Talking about their dad's intimate details? No, well, I mean, potentially a bit of that, but talking about them. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. To be the second-hand embarrassment. No, I can I can understand that. If my dad was talking about me on um, on radio or podcast, I'd, I'd certainly I'd have a word. I, well, I think I think I wouldn't mind them listening to it when they get a little bit older. Yeah, yeah, but it's I in between. Age. Uh, I just think it. Who wants to be listening to that? Like, uh, Budge asks an excellent question here on YouTube this morning. Right. Who has the better haircut, Adrian or Shane? Jesus. We're both fresh from the old barber. Are we? Budge has given his opinion. Has to be Adrian, guys. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I won't argue that. No, uh, yeah, fresh from the barber. Yeah, I feel like. Heading off the weekend, you have to give me a zero back and sides there. Yeah, point five in the back and sides. Point five. Point five. I didn't even know point five was a thing. There you go. Half fade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half yeah, a yeah. fade. Half fade. That's it's uh, it's a fresh fade. Shane looks looks good. Learn something new every day. Um, teenage kicks. The the game tonight dominates most of the back pages. I'm not breaking any uh, uh, breaking news there. Teenage kicks so hard to beat for Kenny. All uh, right, Philip Lanigan. See what they've done there. Yeah. Yeah. Another great band. Tell you what, we're, we're on a theme this morning. Uh, Philip Quinn riding inside. He's his angle. Philip Quinn's angle, uh, and it can tend to be the case uh, from Athens here. Stephen Kenny's uh, under a little bit of pressure. Uh, he does say inside, if I can get the thing here. Um, he talks about how impressive the Greece press conference was. The manager, of course, Gus Poyet and uh, George Baldock, the defender, and then he says after that it was never going to be easy for Stephen Kenny to follow such a couple of slick performances but even so the Irish manager's briefing was bland and lacked fighting talk so he's already getting in ahead of the narrative tonight just as well uh, the presser was bland just as well you don't get any points in the group for uh, press conferences because we don't care Stephen can be as bland as he wants as long as the team performs Um, so so that's that's in the Irish Daily Melfi this morning and uh, Champ City of company for the big kickoff a big story in the back page the fixtures I don't care a relevant story every year isn't it it's such an irre- like. I, I look curiously at the first and last games, then I'm like, all right, that's that's, it, that's like, enough. It's a, it's yeah, a yeah. buy story, like, and again, but obviously close to the time, it gets a bit juicier. Yeah. I think. For now, let's chill out. Actually, somebody has a point for us here about the pronunciation of Gus Poyet. Saw that, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, four, 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 yeah. Lads, head of the match tonight. Will you get in touch with Owen to confirm the correct pronunciation of Gus Poyet? It's Poshet. Poshet? Poshet? Why is S H in Uruguay? And it's not French, so pronounce the T at the end. So that would be Poshet. I don't know. That We're not going to start calling him Gustavo Poshet. Uh, Frontenstein four nine. Start calling him Gustavo. I, I appreciate if you're accurate. <laughs> you're accurate, but do you go for Gustavo Poyet? Poyet. I used to love calling him Gustavo when I was a kid. Did you? Gustavo Fring, like Breaking Bad. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you know? Lean into it. The uh, Irish Daily Star this morning. Um, it's Lala Eland, uh, Ricky Fowler marching on together with pals Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth towards uh, a stake in Leeds United. Um, I'm reading this as if it's as if I haven't read it before and it's news to me because I haven't read it before and it's news to me. Um, oh, so that is. Uh, I mean, it's it's the thing to do now if you're an American. Uh, this is really going to pot, isn't it? If you're, uh, I remember my first time holding the paper as well. <laughs> hey, if you've got um, if you've got a name and you're an American, it's the thing to do is to buy into uh, an English football club. But Ricky yeah. Fowler and Justin Thomas and George Spieth taking a stake in Leeds would be an interesting thing. I'll tell you what, Ricky Fowler probably be a tiny stake, but it'd be just worth it for the storylines that come along with it. Yeah, wouldn't it be just great to see aside from an Irish winner? I sat down and watched most of the the opening round yesterday. Yeah, uh, and like Ricky Fowler, oh, segue. outrageous sixty two, um, and then of course Xander Shoffley goes and does the same thing. Um, 
you know, leveling the best score ever in a US Open opening. Incredible. It's just amazing. So you I, had it for like five minutes and then your man followed him in. It's just mad. I think Shoffley tweeted afterwards, will we do it all again tomorrow? Yeah, but um, I mean, their curmudgeon of me is saying that the course seemed to be set up in a way that was uh, that it was possible to get those scores. Possibly, yeah. yeah. But then the next closest were a couple of shots off. Do you know, it's not, not like far. Was, not far. Yeah. Like if, if, you know, Rory's back there on 500 par and... Mm. We were both saying that watching him in the first tee, I watched about half his round yesterday before I had to go to bed, but we were both saying before the show that in the first tee, he stripes that down the middle. He's the longest drive of the day. Like, it never left the absolute dead centre of the fairway and was an absolute so bomb. Wagon. And you just think, that's it, he's he's dialed in today. He was. And he was two under after two and was steady as she goes, ends up in 500 par and, like, with Rory, you just... But he's usually a slow starter, so like that's his be, best. I think it's his best opening round. Well, he'd be due a blow up today, and yeah. then chasing hard into the weekend and nearly get there. But if you could avoid that and steady, she goes again today. Like I mean, I know the lead score at the minute is eight under par, but you do often see that. Yeah, and the winning score can end up at eight, seven, nine, mm-hmm. not far off. Like oh, if he can just if he can stripe it down the middle in the first again today, Adrian, I think we'll all get get excited. Just a swagger. He's playing with confidence. Um, he, had, he had a lot of battles for um, for the hearts and minds of golf fans around the world. Good versus evil. Yeah. He had him versus Brooks Kepp on the on, on their match. No, it didn't oh, Brooks Kepp is? I don't find him the most dislikable. He's actually probably one of the one of the more likable players. He on played tour, a lot of his golf on the European Tour yeah. um, early on, so there's probably a little bit of that. And obviously, he was one of those that defected him to live alongside uh, old Lefty, yeah. who I used to love as a player, strolling around the fairways. Strutting his hitting stuff, bombs, hitting bombs, hitting his little cheeky little fist bumps with the fans. Yeah. I just can't warm to him anymore. There's the clip of, and it should be so cute and and uh, heartwarming, where he, he goes to the kid and he asks the kid, "What club should I use?" And the kid in the side is like, "Well, if I could hit like you, I'd probably use whatever club." And then Phil, go, Phil hits the shot from Phil, Le- kid from Leitrim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was. Um, JP Wright, voice actor, is going to be in touch now in a second. Um, and then he hits the shot and he turns around to the kid. Riley, you can be my caddy any day. Walks yeah. off. It's like, oh, Phil. Yeah. yeah. If, if it was anybody else, it'd be, hard, it'd be heartwarming. If, but it was the just the whole live stuff hadn't happened. That was cringe. Um, Do me a favor. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's he's uh, playing alongside Harrington, and Harrington was actually tipping along quite nicely himself. Yeah. Has ended up now in three over par, but was a couple under early doors and looking pretty good and pretty steady. But mm. sort of came uh, wheels came off a little bit for him. So, and the Irish guys generally, Shane Lowry is very much um, back to field as well. So. Iffy. Um, McElroy is the uh, the man to keep an eye on and we'll do that over the next few days uh, Acropolis, Acropolis now by the way is probably the tab of the morning for you on the Irish Daily Star this morning in relation to the I've been in Athens so um, see what they've done, done there yeah uh, sure. uh, loads more on the back pages and we'll get to those for you in a little bit uh, over the course of the morning loads of comments coming in as well by the way whether it's Oasis or Pulp or Blur um, and we will keep that debate going for you um, is it a debate? I'm not sure uh, over the course of the morning today OTPM would you let Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition is available now and I did promise we were going to chat to Ronan Agar ahead of a very big weekend Ronan good morning to you Hi Adrian how are you Shane How are you doing? Good yeah good just a few difficulties getting the camera angle right but seems right, okay looking, looking good you're just about in shot there so we'll, we'll roll with that uh, in Paris so um, we came up last night by train and uh Long day today, a captain's run, and play tomorrow at nine o'clock local time. So um, it's uh, interesting, very interesting times. Is it interminable with such a late start like the day? Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, because uh, during the year you're trying to, um, you have to 
feature that into your routine, you know, because, uh, well, the lads from the dad cast would know, well, uh, usually I'd be in bed from, you know what I mean, at 10 o'clock, you know, but like, that's just the start of the second half (laughs) in terms of, and, uh, you know, I mean, if your day starts at eight and your kickoff is 13 hours later, it's, it's different at the start. It took a bit of getting used to, but, uh, into the players' programs, you build in a kind of, uh, nap times and kind of not allowed to drink coffee time so a little bit of guidance but uh, we're pretty experienced though because a lot of the big games in Canal Plus are 9 o'clock on either Saturday or Sunday night so uh, but there is um, a lot I suppose for from a management point of view of the difference between peaking for a 9 o'clock kickoff or a 3 o'clock kickoff uh, and it isn't as simple as, as one would think how, how do you go about sort of managing your own day tomorrow? Like, you're obsessing about the game, I'm certain about that, and uh, it's a very long day to try and fill your time. Is there um, a template of how you go about that? Or Yeah, well, I suppose the good thing about this now, uh, this will be uh, unique in the fact that there's no game to prepare for after, or there's yeah. nothing on Monday really, you know, so you're all in, so you can actually uh, enjoy today and tomorrow because knowing that... You know, you've worked hard and this is the reward you get for it. But after 27 games, it comes down to 180 minutes to decide whether you get silverware or not, which is the same for Toulouse. But that's what makes sports so enjoyable and ruthless is the fact that one team goes away happy, the other will be gutted. Uh, but filling the day would be the staff might go for uh, a waddle tomorrow morning and then there's, you know what I mean, literally... Um, just hang around and if there's boys looking for chats or stretching or coffee, just uh, what's good at the minute is that I think it's a group where when you meet people, you want to speak to them as opposed to, will I go down to the team room now, you know, and that was probably the case a few years ago. But now the boys enjoy each other's company. It The time, obviously leading into a final, the day of the game is long, uh, but um from our point of view, uh, it's exactly where we want it to be, so we're hugely excited. Presume any coffee bans don't impact the, the, yourself or the coaching staff. Uh, that'll be that'll be just disastrous, especially on the, on the day of a final. You need your coffee on board. Yeah, yeah. and obviously the you know what I mean the rules are uh, are not too bothered about the guys overloading and the staff, you know. But from a player's point of view, especially like coming from last weekend, just in San Sebastian, it was whatever thirty five degrees of pitch level, I think, and. Uh, you could see we were excellent for 40 minutes and then uh, it was like you were talking to people but they weren't really there at half time, you know. You could see, Jesus, this heat is having a huge effect on people and uh, I think after the rest we couldn't really impose our game for the first 15 minutes of the second half. So uh, all was learning and all was trying to, I suppose, take on board what the conditions are giving you. But uh, yeah, most definitely um, we've seen, was it in... USA 94 with Steve Staunton and the mm. boys that the heat has a big impact <laughs> on, on the paddies you know so uh, Donica Ryan needs lots of uh, sun cream that's for certain but, I see uh, I see him in the uh, John Aldridge role with the uh, <laughs> yeah get some uh, get some factor 50 on the skin Um <laughs> The, the, it's it, probably an easy enough deduction to make, Ronan, given the the twenty one three halftime lead last week against Bordeaux in the semi. But um, what, was that a, an ambition to to start fast, given what happened in the Champions Cup final? Um, we didn't really start fast, to be fair. You know, we we started okay, but they scored first. You know, three nil, and then we took control of the game, and uh, we 
I mean, it sounds a lot of points, but it was probably three half opportunities that turned into points. And I think that's what happens when you've good players and confident on form that they can turn. You go back through the, you know I mean, the Premiership, watching all the the strikers over the over the years. You know, that's what makes them so interesting when they got half chances, Shearer or uh, Rooney or. Fowler, any of these guys, they used to just notch up goals. I think that's what teams do when they're in in form and when they're getting half opportunities. And you know, I mean, three opportunities over forty minutes isn't isn't very many. But uh, uh, we defended brilliantly when we were under pressure once. But we managed the game. Uh, but then the twenty minutes after half time were um, were disappointing, um, and they came back into it. But um, we finished strongly and um, obviously for a big game, the lead really didn't change hands. So uh, we were in full control of the game. You've chatted to us a fair bit in this lot over the years about the importance of the European Cup and how you had to bring the club and the team on the journey to understand that. And obviously that's paid off in absolute uh, spades. Mystery European Cup, I think was how Keith Wood might have described you on the show during the week. Uh, the Bouclier needs no explanation, I'm sure, to the owners, to the players, to the city. Is it a different vibe um, about it and can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of that then in in terms of the difference between eight and the European Cup locally yeah well I, there wouldn't be any history in La Rochelle in terms of the Champions Cup you know it's it's uh, when you look at the statistics or the history of it everything is in its infancy really it's just I suppose most particularly in the last two seasons our, our streak has been red hot but prior to that we didn't play many games or the club didn't play many games so it was relatively new uh, and it made it very exciting. But, uh, I mean, La Rochelle doesn't have much history in, in the top 14. It's never won a bouclier. So that's the natu- natural uh, next step. Um, so are we to be intimidated by that or are we to be excited by that? So I think this group is very excited. And I think uh, the way I see it, it's the uh, natural step for the team to take. But, um uh, you know, it all comes on the line. One performance will either give you that or uh, take it away and make it more difficult and more frustrating for supporters and for fans and for the club. But uh, you got to be excited by this challenge. you got to be aware of what it would mean to the town. And we are aware of that. And I think there's a great connection between supporters and the team. So it doesn't feel different. It feels like another big game. But we've been on a treadmill for whatever, I think, the last... Uh, number of months where every game has nearly felt like a big game and it's important that we understand what's at stake but you don't uh, I suppose it can't be any bigger than Dublin it's of the same importance probably more important to French people to to all of us probably because it would be a first uh, winning in Dublin wasn't the first because we've already won the Champions Cup but um, the team would be very excited to try and uh, win a bouclier. There's huge history involved, there's huge prestige involved, and and um, that excites us. What sort of a step up would it be in terms of the reaction to it? Like, because I think that's the thing that's interesting to an Irish audience: that sense of the European Cup being an established thing here, less so in La Rochelle. We saw the scenes three weeks ago after you won um, the the Heineken Cup and their reaction to it. And twelve months ago, this is a step up again locally in terms of their understanding of of. Um, their relationship with the top 14? Yeah, because it's so steeped in history, Adrian. It means it's been there. That's the one thing that's been, I suppose, stable 
in 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 rugby in over the last hundred years has been the I suppose the the quest to win a Brennis. Um so it becomes I suppose a lot more tangible or live with the group of players we have and I suppose with the way we've been playing. So the locals want it, we want it, but just because you want it doesn't mean you get it. And I cannot stress that enough, you know. So uh there'll be a plan tomorrow night at nine o'clock to to be efficient in what we do, but that doesn't guarantee anything. But you shouldn't, I suppose, um, be fearful of that. You should be enthralled by that. You should be excited about showing your talent in front of the whole of uh, France um, in the biggest sporting, okay, well, biggest rugby sporting occasion in France this year. And um, it's something that we've we've chatted about, but it's a very natural, I think, progression for this team is that. Uh, we believe, I mean, that we show them we're the best team in Europe. Now we need to show we're the best team in France. There's the added element tomorrow night, Ronan. If, you're, if yourselves uh, overcome to lose, um, uh, given this new Champions Cup format that's been announced uh, during the week, um, Leinster will join La Rochelle, Munster, and Saracens as top seeds for the for the new look Champions Cup. So you'll have the Munster fans as you usually do supporting you, but you'll also have the Leinster fans behind you tomorrow night. Does that does that warm your heart? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> It's very important that um, I mean the only time you want to meet Leinster is in a in a final or whether something worthwhile at stake. You know, that having them in your group would be uh, not a good idea, obviously, because they're such a quality team. So, um, you know, I never thought about that. Obviously, there's there's enough at stake between La Rochelle and Toulouse to be worrying about third parties. But I appreciate the, the warm gesture, Shane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throw that again. How it was intended. Yeah. Come here, did, did you see the examiner this morning, Ron? You talk about um, if if you don't manage to get over the line, that uh, it leaves a few chinks for the begrudgers. Who are the begrudgers? Ah, yeah, I saw that. I'm not in control of the headline, obviously. Um, I think in the content, is there mention of begrudgers? In, yeah, in, in it's the, not actually. The headline is uh, when the players aren't are doing well, you don't want the season to end. But this was just a paragraph within it where you say. Uh, that it was the one you want. It's massive validation um, of the road travel. Of course so it far. is, but I and suppose then... where we are, there's, you know I mean, there isn't any doubt of the quality of the team, but there would always be a bit of uh, unfinished business from my point of view is the fact that you don't get over the, the line tomorrow night because, uh, you mean, they're, they're the same teams in Europe that there are in France, you know. Obviously, it doesn't never equate when an opposition like uh, Leinster beat Toulouse and we beat Leinster. Oh, that means La Rochelle beat Toulouse. It doesn't work like that. We know it doesn't work like that. But the competitor in me goes, we need to we need to confirm the, the pecking order in that regard. Um, I'm interested, Ronan, was there a big focus that game in January against Toulouse? Um, like when you think back to it, you didn't, I think it was an eight-game losing streak that La Rochelle had over uh, against Toulouse, but it was a comprehensive yeah, I think, win. I like, think at nine, a nine-game if you include a friendly, perhaps, right. yeah. If, right. you, if you look at the stats from that match in January, like La Rochelle only had to make 12 tackles, 68% possession, controlled the set piece, 30 points to seven. So there was obviously a, a huge focus put on, on that game. There's a fo- focus... Uh, and accountability on the last five games because I was the boss. So when you come in and you're the leader of an organisation, you control what you can control with your staff. So I can't look further uh, than before that because it's something that uh, I put a big emphasis on preparation. So 
I mean, it's my responsibility to prepare the team with the staff from Monday to Friday and then the players play Saturday, so they express themselves. So we went through it the last, um, you mean, five games. Last season, we lost three times to them. In the first game, Will Skelton had a red card. In the fourth game, uh, we got a red card, Red Awardy, after 13 minutes and we lost the game with six points. But I think what was great after that game was I think the boys understood that if we keep it 15, uh, we can we can win this uh, or we can win this mental battle. And I think the mentality changed ever since that. And But you need confirmation of that. And then we played them at home. Obviously, they had a mixed team, a weak team, no doubt about it. But it didn't matter. It was just a case of uh, us showing we're capable of getting across the line. We don't have a mental barrier against this team. So we won that game pretty convincingly. But uh, most definitely since... I think the start of this season, uh, we would have a very different outlook on Toulouse than what would be associated with a La Rochelle-Toulouse game in the last 20 years, shall we say. Mm. There was a lot of talk about Anton Dupont after the Leinster-Heineken Cup game and how you know they had an injury early on and they possibly misused him after that and he was almost played out of the game. Have you any... It seems like such a... Um, daft question in so many ways because I don't know how many coaches have been asked this before playing either Toulouse or France when he's been at nine but is there any special plays for him or how do you manage him? No, no you just got to be uh, on red alert but hopefully his influence isn't as big when he uh, hasn't the ball so we need to try and control possession the guy is so good you know and I think we've all seen that and you mean we discussed that there's times when there's 19 out of 20 scrum halves, whatever, across the teams in Europe where you feel you have an organisation that can look after their attack. But with this guy, he breaks all the rules. And that's what great players do when he has time, he has speed, he has power, he has uh, a really fast brain. So uh, he's a huge threat, but we can't triple mark him. We'll try and double mark him, but that means there's space for someone else as well. So it's a dangerous uh, recipe to do that. You just got to respect him and got to understand that when he has a purple patch or a moment, just uh, try and get back in the game as quickly as possible. We had uh, David Charkey on the show last week. He was talking a little bit about your um, relationship around the teaming over the last few years and the other, the other work that he's done. It was a very interesting chat. Um, you spoke after the Champions Cup final about the, the teaming and the personal nature of the photographs, uh, the, the photographs of the Everest piece. Is, there, is it the same again this weekend in relation to that or is there some new twist on it? No, 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 no. You can't do that. We've, we've, we've scaled Everest twice. We need a different... Uh, we need a different uh, story. There will be a different story, but to be shared next week. <laughs> he did. He talked about the moon landings as well. So maybe you can go beyond Everest, Ronan. There's always there's always higher. You're hot, very hot, Shane. <laughs> right, I'm on the right right path. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what does you mentioned early on about uh, about Monday? What does work look like on Monday for you? Is it uh, the eternity? There's, no there's no such thing as work, as you know. I coach rugby, so. What does I'm what does keen. what does um, getting out of bed on Monday morning look like for you, if, uh, regardless of the outcome? Is it is it is the work is there? Uh, I use the word in the loosest possible sense. Then is there work to be done, or is it is the t- the key get turned? No, 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 no. It's 
all in Saturday night. So it's Sunday and Monday, Tuesday looks after itself. You know, you're you're the brutal reality. There's two different uh, scenarios and they're poles apart. So you got to be prepared for both of them. And uh, that's what happens when you're, I suppose, lucky to be involved in in in, in finals. So we're aware of 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 uh, both, I suppose, um, paths. But uh, I think we're pretty um, excited by the one we want to take. You're uh, finding it hard to even think about Monday at this stage. I never think about Monday anyway before a game. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, something else you might not have thought about and uh, you might not have much thoughts to give us about, but the Johnny Sexton letter of misconduct obviously has cropped up over the last week or so. Um, I'm sure it's not occupying too much of your headspace, but any thoughts about, like there's a lot of discussion obviously about a, the ban that might follow from the actions uh, in and around the, the final at the Aviva. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, Johnny's like he's a competitor, a great guy. There shouldn't be a, a ban for Johnny. There shouldn't be. I, I'd be strong in that. I think. Um, you know I mean, I think I didn't hear anything or see anything or see any videos, but I know the character very well. An insane competitor. Maybe his temper uh, flared over for for a minute or two or a second or two. Sorry, but uh, uh, you know the guy is a role model to in Irish rugby in what he has done I think um, people need to uh, move on with this and um, uh, it's it's something that uh, you know I think that's been completely uh, stirred up depending on different people's agendas yeah we'll see how it plays out over the next little while uh, you have the whole country behind you this time um, ahead of tomorrow night and we'll be tuned in and hoping for the best for you uh, really enjoyed the last 20 minutes and um, you won't even you won't even watch it will you I'll be, I'll be 100% I'm not going to lie I don't, I don't watch an awful lot of top 14 I'll be 100% tuned in I'm looking for a La Rochelle jersey I was looking for one before then. I have a flag at home I have a flag at home Shano. I'll, oh, I'll share it with you well, I'll, good man Good luck and, with it. Uh, is there GA this weekend? Oh, there's big, games? big GA, yeah. Um, last, the final last round of the, group. the group games, yeah. So who's playing who? Um, we have, you're looking to see who Cork are playing. Um, I have uh, Dublin Sligo and Roscommon Kildare all in the same group. You have Kerry Louth. Cork Mayo is probably the juiciest game of the weekend. So hurling was last weekend. There's no hurling. This There's weekend. a little bit of hurling this weekend as well. Yeah, got awfully tip and Carlo Dublin. I think are the only hurling matches really. So do you watch? Are you watching much of it? Oh, the games last weekend were unbelievable, weren't they? The uh, Limerick Clare game yeah. and the uh, Cats and Galway. Yeah. Jeez, they were. It's not over till it's over. There's there's another lesson. There's a theme. There's theming in that. The Kenny result of that. Um, the Limerick game was where. That was in the Gaelic grounds, actually, in Limerick. Yeah, home advantage. With Claire, Claire were quite happy, I think. Yeah. Go again. 50,000 people. Yeah, it was full anyway, yeah. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? What a, yeah. what, what a finish. A, advertisement for... Uh, Have you been to a Munster final, uh, Ronan? Um... Have I been to a Munster final? I'm sure I have, but it's a long, long time ago. Yeah. That Limerick team are impressive. I'm sure there's bits and pieces that you're watching of them. They sure are. Incredibly, uh, yeah, they're they're serious, uh, serious operators. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, look, you won't be watching right, too much luck. for tomorrow. Good man, Cheers. good luck, Cheers, Ronald. 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 Ronald.
and um, I, love I, I, I will. You won't be watching it because you have other things to do. I'm 100 percent going to be watching that game. It, so you said 9:45. So is it, it's what is eight, it? eight o'clock um, our time. Uh, our time. Yeah, right, interesting. Uh, sounds like he's uh, using Apollo 11 on the moon landings to his effect. <laughs> he certainly didn't deny that. Uh, uh, but then it's an obvious step, you know. You've used Everest, as he says. So where do you go beyond that? Like, where do you go for there? Right, <laughs> Nathan is standing by. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. All right, eight minutes past eight. Nathan Murphy live from Athens. Good morning to you. How are you? Oh, he's croaky. Their red wine was had. Actually, I was a bit croaky there now. I was a bit croaky. I was, well, I've just been uh, downstairs having a bit of a row with the uh, receptionist. As I had the most beautiful Athenian shot lined up. The rooftop bar, the Acropolis in the background, and he won't open the door for me. Oh, no. And did you not? I mean, I'm... Well, you had arranged this last night. We had, arra- we had arranged this last night, and I, uh, I, I gave it the big one, and he said, no. Do you know so when you go on an away trip, Shane, and you, you know, things, you've been out for a few drinks the night before, you know, things are getting away from you a little bit, and then you come up with this cock and bull story while you're sat behind, like, oh, I actually, I wish, I wish my life was that background. exciting. Could you not I have am. said, could you not have said, do you know who, do you know who I am? I, I do, do, are you sat in bed he didn't watching say that? the golf. I sat in bed watching the golf. It was as exciting as it got last night. Uh, with, with Greek commentary? No, no, somehow, uh, remarkably, the Sky Go works in Greece. All right. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be talking about this. Sort of <laughs> well, it works just fine. I don't know how the, uh, this was no illegal stream or anything. It's, uh, yeah, most enjoyable. Um, and Rory is going to continue to shoot the lights out without ab- any question whatsoever. And there'll be no bumps in the road and he'll get business done. Well, there was a bump in the road on 18, but listen, he held yeah. the putt, so he limited the damage. Oh, it's a tasty looking leaderboard already, isn't it? Oh, it looks, it looks class. What well, is there? Uh, we were sort of half joking about earlier on that, you know, this, he would, if if uh, regular form is to be followed through today will be will be a bumpy ride and it may even be an overpower score and then he'll chase hard into the weekend and come up just short. Um, is that how you expect this to play out? Or are you seeing something different from him? Uh, no, I think he's been playing some consistent golf over the last couple of weeks. The big concern was his wedge play that just seemed to be way off. But you look at how he's driving like that drive on the first hole last yeah. night. Uh, oh. A lot of this drive of the day. And it was just his walk afterwards. There seemed to be something there of, yes, yes, it's going to happen for me this week. I don't think anyone knows how they're going to react. You touched on that Schauffele, uh and Fowler you know, set a new U.S. Open record. This is meant to be the toughest test of the year at the U.S. Open. So how do they react? Like It's a very fun golf course. It's a brilliant golf course to watch. But was it too easy for them yesterday? So do they react and do they overreact and make it too difficult and turn it into a bit of a lottery? Peter Laurie was on Golf Weekly saying he wouldn't be surprised if he saw low score, high score, low score, high score, that that would be the sort of rhythm of it. So I think the score doesn't really matter for McElroy. It's playing to whatever the level of the course is and sticking within three, four shots heading into the weekend. As you say, not just bombing out and having a disaster of a day. But you can look at some of the scores yesterday. It is that type of golf course. But I think he's probably going to be there uh, for the long haul. Yeah, and unlike yourself, uh, who has uh, just taken a call and uh, disappeared off our screens. But well, I'm back. If you could tell on. News Talk to stop calling me, that'd be great. <laughs> Let her roar there, Kathleen. Let her roar. The, uh, Ricky Fowler, Nathan, that's the... that's the. Obviously, if you don't get an Irish winner, it would be a nice one. 173rd in the, in the year, just a, in the rankings just a year ago, and hasn't qualified for the last two US Opens, but absolutely tore it up yesterday. 
Yeah, he's back this year. He's been playing very well this mm. year and has shown a bit of form. I don't think anyone saw this coming yesterday. Um, probably least of all Ricky Fowler. But yeah, Fowler is still one of those golfers despite his drop in his rankings. Uh, I think he's probably still one of the 10 most famous golfers in the world. He's somebody who people instantly recognize. And it's a long time since he contended. He had that run of finishing second in all the majors. Uh, so Fowler, Schauffele is a US Open expert, but I think Scheffler is the one. The putter looks to be working. So right now, I think you'd have probably Scheffler favorite, Rory second. Now, um, let's get yes. into the action tonight. Um, full selection, players back from injury. We've one of the hottest properties in the Premier League in a position that we've been begging for some quality in over the last few years. Um, stars kind of a lining in relation to this one um, we're playing against a team that are marginally below us in the uh, world rankings um, and we are set up for a win here <laughs> Whew. Uh, what makes you say that <laughs> the factors that I've the, the factors that I've just mentioned I, it's it's we've we've got to be leading to a point where uh, I'm not saying that tonight is a gimme if we do win it'll certainly be by not much of a margin uh, you could easily make the argument that a draw is a good result but and there is a big but here. We uh, the latter factor, particularly around Evan Ferguson, surely uh, a you know a win tonight has to be something that Stephen Kenny is uh, thinking about and talking about. Uh, you're correct on both accounts. He is thinking it, and he is talking about it. Um, it's one of those games to use the John Giles to take each game in its merits. A draw could be a good result depending on what type of game it is. And generally away from home against a country like Greece, you'd probably take your traditional Irish one-all draw. But Stephen Kenny needs something. He needs a win in one of these games. He's had a lot of very strong performances going right back to the Slovakia uh, playoff, Serbia, Portugal, Ukraine, and hasn't actually been able to get that victory. And, I think the jury is very much out on Kenny at the moment that uh, people recognize the work he's done in bringing through all these young players. And so many of them are still incredibly young when you look at the age profile of this squad. But they need to start backing it up with being able to seal the deal. So there's a bit of momentum after the French performance, not the result, but the fact that actually Ireland stood up to France and were able to go and express themselves in parts of that game. Now they need to follow it up because the whole thing sort of opens up if they could get a victory tonight. You follow it up against Gibraltar and suddenly anything you get then in September against France or the Netherlands is an absolute bonus. So I think tonight he will be going out to win the game. I hope his team selection reflects that. And I still think it'll be a very tight game, as you said. These ones always, always are. They're two sides who you never feel are going to score four or five goals in a match. I know uh, a lot of the, the papers have gone with the lovely photos of Evan Ferguson and Michael Abafemi, a little bit of a bromance blossoming in the team hotel of the last couple of days, Nathan, but appear, well, certainly from a couple of the newspapers this morning, suggested lineups or predicted lineups. Adam Eda may be the favourite option alongside Evan Ferguson, possibly. Do you think he's going to lean that way? There's quite a few possibilities as to what he does up front. Like, does he go with a two and is it Ida and Ferguson? And then if it is Ida and Ferguson, what way do they work? Likewise with Obafemi. You look at Ferguson when he's played with Brighton, and quite often it's been Danny Welbeck, and Welbeck might be the one who drops that little bit deeper, and Ferguson might stay up if they're playing as the two. I think you want to have Ferguson as your most advanced player. I know his link-up play is, is very strong, and at times for Brighton when they're playing against the better teams, he does have to drop into midfield to get himself involved. But I think, you know, as Adrian was saying, we've got an 18-year-old superstar. You want to get him in positions where he can score goals. And the last thing you want is him having to drop deep to supply a Michael Obafemi. I think that will be a clear sign that he wants to go and win this game, that by playing two of them up front, up top, he loves Ida. Like, it's remarkable the journey we've been on with strikers over the last 18 months where we thought Adam Ida was it. Adam Ida is the future. He's going to be our guy for the next five years. 
Then we have the game against Scotland last year, and it's Parrot and Obafemi up front. And we go, oh, we've got a strike partnership here that's going to see us through the next five years. And then Evan Ferguson arrives, and, well, he's probably going to see us through the next 20 years is what we're hoping. Like the other options is he just goes with Ferguson up front by himself and then has the support, he hopes, from a Jason Knight, from Mikey Johnson, that the midfield gets up there and helps him. But he does have those options. Obafemi obviously hasn't played a huge amount. Ede has been getting back into it without scoring too many goals for Norwich. But since day one... From the under-21s up, Kenny has loved Adam Ida. So they've had 10 days together in that warm weather training camp in Turkey. They've been able to try things. They've had 11 v 11 games. So maybe he saw enough there from Ida as he returned to fitness and saw the two of them together to go, actually, these two, double trouble up top, can cause a lot of hassle for a Greek defence. Like I know you talk about the Welbeck going a bit deeper. We've seen um, Ferguson do a little bit of that for Brighton as well. Like, How can you try and... What's the best scenario for us to try and replicate that Brighton situation where how often do you see him, whether he's playing deep or not, ghosting into the box, totally un, unmarked, he's playing off his shoulder, he's playing, uh, taking a little run that nobody's spotted and suddenly he's in space in the box and the ball's in the back of the net. That's the situation we need to create for him. I think it's so difficult to, <laughs> for Ireland to try and replicate what Brighton does just because we don't have the same quality of player. All right, we can maybe have a threat down the wings with Odauda and Doherty in the way that they do with Estepunian at left back. We don't have a player like Nciso. Maybe Mikey Johnson is the closest who can bring the ball down to the byline. And that's where, as you say, Evan Ferguson just sort of goes in there, doesn't need to sprint frantically, just uh, drops in behind a lead attacker. But I, I don't think you can replicate what Brighton do, the speed at which they attack, the quality that they have in midfield. Um, I think Ireland need to go about their game plan their own way. It'll be interesting to see how much of the ball they have tonight. Like the Greeks, it's not Greece of 2004. They are happy to get on the ball to try and dominate it a bit in midfield. Ireland have generally looked quite good on the counter-attack, which sort of goes against the whole Stephen Kenny ethos and what we thought it would be of Ireland dominating the ball home and away. Um, so can Ireland get enough possession, I think, to feed and to create chances? And like Ireland have created a lot of chances under Stephen Kenny. The problem is they generally haven't taken them. Judging by my um, my phone's weather app, it looks like you're going to have a lovely day in uh, in Athens, Nathan. Twenty nine degrees highs, and then, but Paul, Paul O'Hare was kind of playing down the, the weather situation. I know the lads had the the team had the, the warm weather training camp in, in Turkey over the last week or so. But um, by kickoff time, it looks like it'll be about twenty four degrees. Like, is it is it muggy? Is it like will the players feel that at that muggy. time? Or is that yeah okay muggy? If it's like yesterday, so today it does feel a bit warmer. Uh, just been out for a walk around this morning, and yesterday. Uh, it was hotter in Dublin when I left, to be honest. Uh, it was cloudy. It was overcast. And by the time the game kicks off, which remember is 10 o'clock local time here, 10 o'clock here last night, it was nice. You would mm. sit outside and have a drink, no problem. But you wouldn't be worried about playing a football match. And in fact, you'd love those sort of conditions. So I don't think the weather is going to be an issue at all. And the fact they've had this warm weather training camp uh, should, should work in their favor. The only issue is the fitness factor in that last half an hour. Like John Egan hasn't played in nearly six weeks. Uh, Darrow O'Shea if he selects him which I think the jury's probably out as to whether it'll be O'Shea or Lenehan like those players that have had very little game time Matt Doherty you know Matt Doherty was looking there at Matt Doherty's stats remarkable started 27 league games in the last three seasons like nine games a season like he's in one way you could say he's used to not playing a lot of football and been able to turn up and uh, perform for Ireland but with him having played 20 minutes in the last six months like in a game like this where it is going to be incredibly competitive it's going to be tight does that count against you? And I don't know if any amount of warm weather training in 10 days can replicate what these players really need, which is first-team football. 
most of the team selections across the back pages this morning are going for O'Shea, Egan and Collins across the back, Doherty and O'Dada wide. Uh, just it, like uh, on that, in the seven games across the last year since the Scotland win, we've had one clean sheet against Malta. Decent opposition, obviously. Also some bang average opposition. What's going on there and how do we start to draw a line under that? Uh, we need clean sheets. Well, we need to draw a line on some sort of a wall on the edge of the penalty area to stop people shooting from 30 yards and just mm-hmm. finding its way into the back of the net, which is uh, where so many of the goals that Ireland have conceded have come from, that it's not teams cutting us apart with incisive play where they've uh, been dis- a disorganized shambles. It's been standing off people from 25, 30 yards out and letting them have shots. And, you know, often those goals have come in second half. Again, I do wonder if there's a bit of fatigue, a lack of game time for players that they just drop off ever so slightly. So when you look at defensively like you look at those three who you say uh O'Shea Collins Egan like a rock solid defense Dar O'Shea hasn't played since the France game mm. he's been injured since then so that's why that'll be a key selection and do not be surprised if Daryl Lenahan starts uh in that back three ahead of Dar O'Shea like I don't think there is a problem defensively I just think they're conceding like the XG I think is off the charts in terms of Ireland conceding far more than they actually should because of the quality of goal. But it can't be a coincidence that they concede that many goals uh, from outside the box. Uh, this is a Greek team that you just would associate with scoring long-range goals. Their manager was a player who used to score uh, brilliant long-range goals. Uh, they do have some attacking threat, in, even to the extent like the top goal scorer in the Dutch league is probably going to be sitting on the bench tonight uh, for Greece. So they do have a good quality of player. The other thing for Greece tonight, and Gus Poye, I'm sure it's in all the papers, you know, saying this is a must-win game for either of these sides if they want to finish inside the top two. They have that backup of a playoff. It's guaranteed. They are in League C. They won their league, so they're guaranteed a playoff. It's not quite as straightforward for Ireland. So does that mean they're going to tonight totally pressure off in a positive or a negative? I'm not quite sure. Mm. Well, uh, score prediction before we let you off? <sighs> I usually say 1-1 one, one in these. I'm going to go 2-1 Ireland. I'm with you. I'm Positivity, with you. I love it. Come on. Evan Ferguson, two goals. This is the start of a beautiful thing. Right now to leave us on. Come on. Thanks, lad. Thanks a lot. Nathan Murphy on the line there from Athens. You, I mean, it could be anywhere. could be anywhere, He, yeah. he, he assures us that... Oh, the, the, Acropolis, board, the Acropolis was behind me there not too yeah. long ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Heard that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he knows his Greek architecture. Mikey Johnston off the bench to score the winner. Ah, I think that's you sort of living. You get how much you put put a fiver down on that? You're getting nothing. You're getting you're getting long odds on that. Exactly. Um, I think, um, I think Ferguson will score one, and I think the other one will come scrappy goals from somewhere else. But we're in the habit of scoring nice goals. I take um, any of them of late. Yeah, uh, two one I like, and there's a bit of green tintedness about it, but <clears throat> I think it's not entirely unlikely. Yeah, one nil feels more likely to me, but okay. yeah. Uh, we're not <laughs> countenancing the idea of getting beaten, of course, which would be a whole yeah. other conversation. But I do think that there is that bit of we were built for so many years and look, at we had amazing players in those positions, but on a real solid foundation at the back. And mm. we've let that slip over the last while. And there's not a great, neither is there a huge amount of conversation about like our need to draw a line on, you know, um, the Richard Dunn Moscow style defending. Like we do need to start putting together, particularly against the quality of like we'd Latvia and Armenia. We couldn't yeah. clean sheets against them like that's something we need to start and yet and yet you are fully optimistic and positive ahead of tonight well I I am I think I'm I'm leaning I'm leaning I am saying they'll concede but right um, uh, do you see this quote it's uh, Kathleen's kindly passed it into a Damien Duff talking about one of his oh yeah uh, Shelburne lads heading off to to join the Love Island cast yeah 
Scott, we'll find out a second in there. He's the goalkeeper. Um, I was shocked and saddened that Scott chose a villa in Mallorca full of beautiful single women over myself, the staff and the players. All jokes aside, I thank Scott for his services to Shelburne FC and we wish him all the very best for the future, whatever that holds. Scott van der Sluis. Right, the goalkeeper. Like, Not much of a decision, is it? Uh, well, we all I, for, I saw when I read it yesterday. I kind of thought, oh, my, like he's sort of packing in his career to go off into Love Island. Mm. Um, but I mean, I guess that is a career choice because he played in the cup game not so long ago. But he hasn't really got in ahead of the, the starting keeper for Shelburne, so game time has been limited. But this will this will improve his profile. You, you know, oh yeah, you, well, don't, I mean, you, you don't strike me as a Love Island man um, or fan. Why? I, I think you've more sense than that. Well, I, I, I took the first comment as a pejorative comment. No, as in, I, I, I wouldn't be a fan of it. Um, I know a couple of people in, within the off-the-ball office are, not to be named, but they're fans of it. I watched a bit of it when Tommy Fury was in there. Right. Um, was that the same season that Tommy they, and Molly May. Uh, Molly, what was the girl from Longford? Oh, Maura Higgins. Maura Higgins. Yeah, I think that yeah. was the same run. Same year. I've watched yeah. nothing of it before, and I've watched nothing of it since. But yeah. uh, it caught my attention for whatever that run That's was. That's a load of crap. To be honest with you, um, look. Car Crash says Oasis had one good album uh, that was an homage to the Beatles, Slade and T Rex. Blur have had lots of good singles. Pulp had, Pulp had two great albums and really good lyrics, so Pulp win. Oof. I mean, that's far more logic than I was applying to the conversation, but I'm willing to run with it. Yeah, um, people pointing out that Ronald McGarrah's haircut is the, the winner between the three of us. I, I'm coming third in a lot of these lists, I have to say. Uh, Fergus Keogh said Adrian's haircut's a. Oh, Adrian's hair is a cut above. If you see what he did there, I do see what he did. I went in for a two for two with the young fella yesterday. Oh, you did it yesterday as well. Yeah, we both are fresh, fresh out of it. Yeah, right, right. What do you ask for? Uh, one, one back and sides, and I, the the technical expression. What I ask for is, can I get one back and sides and a good bit off the top, please? Just give us a wee trim in the top there, and then yeah, that's. So what if I'm what feeling, I'll, I'll ask for a beer trim if I'm feeling really. Oof, I did, I did the beer myself yourself. though yesterday. I get a little hot towel. The, the barber I go to, they always do a hot towel. The, with the and the guy yesterday threw in a little bit of a, a little bit of a, which I haven't had before a little bit of an extra sort of face massage. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, sometimes they'll massage your hand as well. Right, Jesus, <laughs> you, you leave feeling a million million bucks. Yeah, you're absolutely another another planet. Uh, <laughs> Neil McEnany says Blur proves themselves many years ago to be far beyond those debates. All great musicians, Ch- uh, changing sound more akin to you two than Brit pop nonsense. Right, Jesus, wow. yeah, fair play. Uh, Toulouse versus La Rochelle is on Premier Sport 2 points out James Linsky for anybody looking to watch uh, the game tomorrow night uh, Ronan doesn't think he obviously believes that nobody here is watching anything that happens over there and to be fair I'm, yeah. I haven't watching I don't think he's week in, week out, but I, I'm compelled to watch tomorrow yeah. night I don't think he's aware of the interest he's created over here. Like I, I find myself googling the La Rochelle results yeah. oh, like I'm, I'm a super fan yeah. um, you, know, and, and tr- you obviously try and watch the matches where you can but uh, yeah, no, the, there's more of an interest here than he realises, I think. It's 27 minutes past eight. Do keep those comments coming into us, whether it's about that Britpop debate or anything else you're having uh, this morning in the game tonight or any of the games over the weekend. Please do keep the comments coming into us. Some great stuff there. By the way, a reminder that we're going to be hosting a night of celebration for the Republic of Ireland women's national team. It's all in partnership with Sky. It's coming your way on the 28th of June. It's in the Mansion House in Dublin. It's going to be an absolute cracker event um, to send the team off and you can check out Off The Ball on Twitter to find out how to win tickets for that exclusive event Sky are proud primary partners of the Republic of Ireland 
women's national team. Still to come on the show, we're going to talk to Morris Brosnan a little bit later on to preview the weekend's Gaelic Games action. Will is going to be along with his power rankings from the hurling. And then we'll have Melissa Farrell, who was on the show with Will last night, talking about the ashes. So that's all still to come. On the show, delighted to say that uh, we're joined on the line by Sligo footballer Pat Spillane. Good morning, Pat. Hi, lads. How are you? How are you getting on? Good, thanks. Yeah, can't complain. Where do you sit on the uh, Oasis versus Blur versus <laughs> Pulp debate? Is this like... Uh, yeah, I don't even, know, I don't even recognise these names or... I'll, I'll sit on the fence on that one. <laughs> um, so Dublin, uh, Kingspan, Breffney Park tomorrow night. Uh, you're obviously a Dublin club footballer. Has Tony McEntee been mining you for insights this week? No, he hasn't been. No, um, haven't been in touch now with, with, with Tom Lady Feeder now. So we're uh, we're focusing on ourselves ahead of the game. Yeah, what uh, an amazing season for Sligo! Obviously, when you uh, piece it all together, promotion, the Division Four champions, the Connacht final, the Sam Maguire football, the draw with Kildare—you've, I presume, ticked an awful lot of the pre-season goals at this stage. Yeah, we have. In fairness, um, it's brilliant. Been a brilliant campaign for us. Obviously, we set out the start of the year to to go up. To, uh, to get promoted as champions from uh, Division 4. Obviously, we did that. When we saw the draw ahead of us, we set the target as, as going after a Connacht final. Um, and, of course, to get a result as well in the group stage game, which I think not a lot of people expected from us. So it's been a brilliant campaign. We're going into Sunday now in, in bonus territory. Obviously, we're playing one of the top teams in the game um, with no pressure on us and obviously still alive. So, yeah, it's been a, been a brilliant year and it's, it's brought us on massively as a group. Are you talking about that still alive aspect? Yeah, so it's um, obviously you look. It's um, you know it's a, it's a funny way the, the the system is is this year. You know, coming into the game, we actually don't even have to beat the Dubs. It it could mm-hmm. come down to to points difference on the day. So absolutely, we're we're, we're still alive in this. There's going to be a shock somewhere this weekend, and hopefully, we'll put in a, a good performance and put us in a good position to to stay alive in the championship. Well, I know when we had Tony McIntyre on recently, Paddy was talking about the the, the travelling from from Cross Midland for for training and all the rest. How's it been for yourself? You know, getting across to Sligo and Beacon for for training sessions is is it tough? You're you're picking up a lot of miles there. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a busy schedule now. I suppose to to give you a bit of insight into the week, the last session we had now was on Wednesday. So I suppose I would have left work early. You get over to the session. I was home at about half one in the morning. Then you're up then it for work at seven in the next morning again. So it's, it's fairly full on. We've been training most of the year midweek in Sligo. So over and back on the Wednesday, over on the Friday, and then back to Dublin again on the Sunday. So it's a, yeah, it's a busy schedule, but it's enjoyable. So, so you don't mind doing it. Does it take a bit of a toll on the body, Pat? Do you have, is there other stuff you need to do to uh, recuperate from the travel alone? Yeah, um, I suppose it's my second year now. In year one, I think it was a bit of a shock to the system. I ended up getting injured twice last year. So... I think coming into this year, I knew I had to put a, put a bigger focus on the body. So I think the bigger challenge, the, the biggest challenge isn't really the fitness at this level. I think it's being fresh and available for, for training and matches. So when you're not training, it's putting a big emphasis on your recovery and what you're doing outside the sessions. It's, that, that makes a big difference. You made your, your, your Sligo debut in the, the National League game against Wexford, I think I'm right in saying, in January of last year, Pat. So was Sligo always on your radar I know your mother's a Sligo woman so just for people unaware so was that always a, a consideration even when you were growing up that you might end up lining up for Sligo if uh, you... yeah I was, I was always aware of the link but it wasn't something I ever proactively went after doing like I was you know I was, I was aware that it was an option but 
Um, I suppose after the Dublin Championship two years ago, um, sorry, last year, the, the Sligo County Board reached out to me and it, it did come as come as a bit of a surprise. But um, yeah, delighted I went for it. It's been a been a really enjoyable two years with the group now. There is a there is a scenario where Sligo finish third in the group. Um, you know, if they better the uh, the res- I guess the result against Kildare, um, and that could also mean Kil- Kerry finish second in their group. Like, is a is a potential Kerry Sligo match in the, in the preliminary quarter final? Is that a uh, something you would dread or, or embrace or how would you feel about a fixture like that yeah I think I uh, don't want to jump ahead too much now we've got a big enough <laughs> test ahead of us on Sunday but uh, yeah obviously that'd be something you'd uh, you'd embrace obviously as a group like we're we've come out of Division 4 this year um, the way the championship is structured this year we're playing against Division 1 Division 2 teams and that's where we want to be as a group in a couple of years you know we've a we've a massive opportunity against Dublin now on Sunday we won't get the chance to play Dublin again for another couple of years so um, we're really looking forward to it and ideally if all going well we keep developing the way we are we'd love to be playing teams like Kerry and Dublin on a consistent basis Can you talk to us a bit more about the Sligo connection pack because I think probably a lot of people would have seen your name pop up on a Sligo shirt and been like what's that fella doing there but like Shane says obviously your mum where in Sligo is she from? She's from Carrow so she was a uh, John's GA club was uh, yeah, is, is the connection there And would you have been up there a good bit as a young fella or what's the connection? On that side, would have been up, would have been up the odd time when I was younger, but um, not in recent years. All of the family had flown the nest, so actually, there's no one from from the Maloney still still left in Sligo now. So, I suppose my first time back in Sligo in a number of years would have been for my first session last year. So, um, yeah, so that was that was the connection. So, it's uh, the Maloney family from Carroll. Um, in our house at home, they, they're, we, uh, my mother's been exiled from uh, Mayo, living in Westmeath, but we talk about Mayo all the time. Is uh, Was it a similar uh, scenario in your house in relation to Sligo? Was that a, a constant factor for you? Um, no, unfortunately not. I think we were in a, a hotbed of Kerry football down below in, in Templeau, so uh, Sligo football didn't get too much of a mention down there. But uh, yeah, she wouldn't have been from, uh, from uh, I suppose, a big GA family as such, so... Uh, I don't think she ever would have been putting too much pressure on me to, to join Sligo. Yeah, but at the same time, does it make it uh, all the sweeter almost in some sense that she has been rooted in Kerry GEA by association, obviously, for the last four or five decades? And now suddenly, you know, this is my time to shine here. I can go back to my roots. Yeah, definitely. She, they've taken a huge amount of enjoyment out of it and for them as well. It's a brilliant excuse for them to get up home again. Obviously, her, uh, my aunts and uncles as well have been going to the games as well. So it's, it's been brilliant. They've taken a huge amount of enjoyment out of it. And uh, yeah, I don't think they expected to spend as much time in Sligo as they have in the last two years. And that's down to down to the football team. So yeah, it's been brilliant. How would you compare, um, Shane mentioned your two years, nearly full two years now at this stage um, with Sligo and you're playing away with Bowden, obviously, in, in Dublin and do, doing very well on that front. How would you compare the standard of the Dublin Club Championship and the Connacht Championship, let's say? It's uh, I'll, I'll, it's St Jude's I'm playing with. I'll have Jude, sorry, yes, the lads, the, lads will, the lads will kill me if I let that one slip. <laughs> Adrian's a kill me, cut man, so he doesn't care, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, like it's in fairness, the Dublin club football is a is a serious standard. I think in terms of the the facilities there, the structure, the how well organised the teams are, it's, it's effectively inter county standard. Um, but I suppose the big surprise for me when I joined Sligo was just the quality of footballers that are there. Um, I thought coming up from from Dublin Senior Championship, it would have been a much smoother transition. I thought it's pretty much going to be on a level playing field here, but there's serious, serious talent in the group here. Um, I suppose for a lot of the guys, probably coming from smaller clubs, not with the facilities or the coaching, maybe that that you know I'd be lucky to have in in Dublin club football. But 
Um, there's brilliant work going on in Sligo now. Obviously, you can see it coming through from the success of the underage teams and the colleges teams. So um, it's going in the right direction. But yeah, it's uh, it's two very different setups. Have you found that your own game, like how have you found your own game over the course of all that? Like, has it taken you a bit of time to, I mean, I don't want to assume it's a step up. That's why I was asking you that previous question. Uh, but how have you found your own game moving into a, a, what I'm assuming is a different standard of football? Yeah, it's um, yeah improved a lot over the last two years. Obviously, still a still a huge amount of development to go. But um, the big thing really is just the time on the ball and the pace of the game. I think at the club level, even at Dublin senior club level, you just have that extra second or two on the ball to to make a decision. At inter county level, the big thing I found is that you get turned over and the ball is up the other side of the field in in, in a shot. So it's just mentally, I suppose, is is the biggest thing is just getting tuned into when you're turned over when you turn over a team. It's just so fast paced, but. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. I've worked with obviously really good coaches in Sligo now over the last two years, so it's it's been a big benefit. Are you getting regular nuggets of advice from your dad, Pat? Like I know it was it was a different kind of game back when he played, but uh, I'm, I'm sure he still has uh, the arm over the shoulder and little bits of advice. He watches all your games, so I'm sure that's a comfort to have as well. Yeah, he's he's a good asset to have. All right, he's um, yeah, he watches. He goes to all the games. He watches all the games. Um, so yeah, he's. Um, no, he's brilliant. I think in fairness, the biggest photo conference I have from at the minute is that he isn't giving me too much feedback, <laughs> um, which is a good sign. He's just he's just telling me to keep doing what I'm doing. So uh no, he's he's brilliant to have. And he's fully leaned into the Sligo Supporters Club now? Oh, uh, he is, he's an ultra. He's a, he's a diehard Sligo man now in fairness, and he's been to every game this year. Right, so even if Sligo played Kerry, there'd be a, there'd be a discussion there. There wouldn't be a discussion. He'd be on the Sligo fence. In fairness to right. him, yeah, he's 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 fully converted. It's interesting. Yeah, the full Sligo gear is out at the at the games. I understand. So that's uh, he's definitely jumped the jumped the fence on that. <laughs> uh, given the background, Pat, and growing up in that sort of environment, uh, your exposure to the media and stuff like that. Do you? Uh, what was your relationship with as you started to make your way with like whether it's Temple Noah or with Jude's or with Sligo? What's your relationship with the media? Given that um, your your background was so steeped in it from your dad's point of view? Ah, there wouldn't have been any media exposure really or, or, or pressure as such. Like, um, you know, I wouldn't have been marked out as, say, like a, a potential Kerry player growing up or anything like that. Obviously, there would have been a lot of really good players coming through from Temple Nod at an underage level. My two cousins, Adrian and Killian, Tyke Morley, Gavin Crowley. So lads like that would have taken, I suppose, a lot of the attention off. Um, so I suppose for me personally, I played a huge amount of sports growing up. Played basketball, soccer, really enjoyed it. I suppose I wouldn't have been someone growing up in Templeau with ambitions of playing for Kerry or, or playing at a high level. So there never would have been any pressure or spotlight on me really um, when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, Favourite fo- Gaelic football pundit, past or present? Just a tough one. I'll go Brawley. <laughs> Brawley's a favourite. Uh, that, that won't go down well at home. Just excluding your dad, obviously, I presume then. Ah no, we'll include that. In that <laughs> uh, so on the pitch, um, uh, we've t- touched around it, but if Sligo can better Kildare's result against Roscommon by two points, then you'll go through. Um, so obviously, with the Dubs in plan uh, in mind tomorrow night, they're not at their strongest, and I'm sure that you're not overly uh, considering that aspect of it um, ahead of the game. But is there a confidence that you can beat them? Um, look, we'll go into the game t- to put in a performance. I think the last few games. Galway, Roscommon, Kildare we've shown that we can put scores on the board and we can frustrate Division 1 teams defensively as well um, I think the scoreline hasn't told the full picture in a number of these games like we have competed with these teams 
you looked at Kildare caused Dublin problems in the Leinster final. Ross Common drew with the Dubs a couple of weeks ago and you know we had good spells against both of those teams. So um we'll be confident we can put in a good performance next day and we'll we'll focus on our own game. What impact has, has Tony McEntee had, Pat, in the, in the squad? Because I remember reading quotes from Niall Murphy, one of your teammates, um, not too long ago, and he was uh, saying Tony brought a wee bit of arrogance from being on winning teams as a player himself and maybe a little bit of um, uh, bite and grit were other words I think he used. So so what what has he brought to that setup? Um, I'd say he probably just instills massive confidence in the group. Um, he just backs everyone to, you know, to, to play their own game, back their own abilities. Um, you know, there's no pressure on us in terms of decision making. Like he, he tells us, kick the ball, get forward, be attack, and be aggressive. Um, I suppose it probably comes from from some of the great cross teams he was involved in as well down through the years. But um, yeah, he he just lets us do our own thing, fills us with confidence, really. And when I look at that, the, the backroom team, um, like Paul Durkin, obviously massively important, a uh, familiar face to any Donegal football fans, and the, the kick out obviously been so important in, in getting football at the moment, and, and Colin McFadden as well. I mean. Colin was such a silky footballer um, to watch. So for, for someone like yourself, that must be of such benefit in training. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Obviously, yeah, Durkin's, Durkin's a brilliant man to have as well. But I suppose from my own perspective as a as a as an attacking player, like I've really enjoyed working with Colm. Um I suppose one of the big areas for development for me was in terms this year was looking at my movement um, and positioning, and obviously to have someone like Colm who you know who excelled at that. Um, for those great Donegal teams, you know he's he's brilliant. He's a great man to have around the training. It must be quite inspirational to see the the under twenty success as well in in, in Sligo. Like clearly, there are a, a pathway of, of of underage players coming through the squad. And I know Tony when he was on with us last time said he didn't want to rush any of those lads coming through to the senior squad. But knowing that that is is behind you, lads, is is uh, I guess a nice cushion as well. No, it's 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 brilliant for the group. Um, in fairness to the twenties who came in last year and this year, like they're they're completely fearless. Like I know a lot of the guys, you could come in at eighteen or nineteen, even to a club team at senior level, and, and be a bit standoffish. They've just torn into it. Um, they've been really really impressive. Now, in fairness, a couple of the guys from this year's twenty team have come into to the training panel the last couple of weeks, um, and they're absolutely flying it. So it's yeah, it's brilliant to see. And there's there's a lot of lads coming through now who have long careers with Sligo. Do you feel like people have been a bit dismissive of, of Sligo at times this season? You hear, like, I guess, heading into every single game, Sligo have been have been underdogs, you know, in championship terms. So has there been a bit of a, a write-off, even even ahead of the Kildare game, I remember, but no one really gave Sligo a chance, and yet you saw the performance, and that's clearly what you lads are capable of. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's only natural. If you're going to ask someone's opinion on who's going to come out on top of the match between a Division 1 and a Division 4 team, of course, the, the educator guesses you're going to back the Division 1 team. But I suppose... We've we've grown massively in confidence this year. Obviously, we went on a, on a nine-game winning streak, albeit at a, at a lower level. But um, we've shown we can compete with these with these big teams over the last couple of weeks. And I think you might not see the the results of it now, but I think you'll really see the benefits of the season we've had next year when we go down into to Division Three again and we're playing against level opposition. How have you found the championship set up itself, Pat? I mean, I, I guess from a player perspective, having matches week on week. Is is a better alternative to, to training consistently? Shawnee Johnston was kind of saying that to us yesterday. You know, if there's a three week gap between matches, you're going into training on the Monday, Tuesday after a match, thinking, "Oh, this could be anything. This could be running or whatever." So it must be a little bit easier from that perspective. Yeah, hundred percent. From a purely selfish player perspective, we want games. <laughs> we want to be playing, and obviously for for a young team like ourselves as well to have a system that's allowing us to play a number of games. Um, against these top division teams rather than straight knockout has been brilliant for us. 
Um, obviously, there's a narrative around the the setup, the structure, the competition, and everything else. But from a from a player's perspective, we're all delighted with it. All right, Pat. Well, listen. We wish you the best of luck tomorrow. We'll catch up with you again down the track. Thanks, Billy, for jumping on. Cheers. Thanks, lads. Thanks, thanks a lot. Lads, like a footballer, Pat's plan on the line there. They'll take on Dublin tomorrow. We'll have a little bit more GA chat in a few minutes. Time, Morris Brosnan of the Examiner will be on the line uh, to look at that game and a few more as well. It is uh, eight forty-three. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBAM. We're delighted to have you with us wherever it is you are at. Uh, we're here with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. The night edition is available now. Some comments coming into us here. Uh, Robert Lynch says, "Fresh haircut festival later. No jar in studio. What a time to be alive for Shane." I don't know what that last point's all about. No giant studio. Yeah. Ah, no. Me and Jerry have a lovely relationship. I would, that wouldn't affect me. But yeah, you're right with the haircut and the festival upcoming. It's um, it's not not unrelated. It's exciting. I see. It. I'm going to have to have the have the the phone battery pack to have the, oh, know, yeah. the constant charge. So I'll have Northern Sound in the air. Oh yeah. Catching up in Monaghan Donegal tomorrow evening at six o'clock. So I'll be right. You know, it's Saturday evening at six o'clock at a festival. So you should be prime in the middle of. Um, you should be dancing or partying or whatever. But uh, I'll definitely have have one earphone in for sure. Do you ever get the thing where you get a haircut and somebody says, oh, haircut, you're going on holidays or you're going to a festival or it's like, oh, a month has passed and I just need you to get my haircut. Yeah, how often do you get a haircut? About, about every month. Yeah, I've started, yeah, about three weeks, four weeks, yeah. Three weeks, oof. Sometimes three weeks. You know, if you have a, if you have a party coming up, yeah. I have an engagement party, for example, next weekend. Yeah. Uh, not my own. Uh, but if, if, <laughs> if, I, uh, if I hadn't got the haircut this week, I'd be getting the next week for that, you know. So sometimes you have to get a cut around events. <laughs> Anyone else interested in this conversation? <laughs> yeah, the, co- the comments this morning seem to be more around uh, uh, haircuts and uh, blur oasis. Tom McGarren says Dublin will hammer Sligo. Um, the, the <laughs> go on. No, you were going to say something there. No, I, um, no, I, I can't. So, so, so they need to uh, win by, they need to better Kildare's result against Roscommon by two points. Yep. Uh, and oh. the likely outcome is that Roscommon beat Kildare and Dublin do decent uh, job on Sligo. My what I'm all I'll say this morning is don't be surprised if tomorrow or sorry on Sunday, Roscommon managed to beat Kildare by more than Dublin beat Sligo. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And no, it, and, and, come and, on, and, go one step further to what you said to us. Yeah, it is what I show. said. Come on now. So, so I'm predicting that the fi- the final table in that group will be Roscommon one, Dublin two, Sligo three, Kildare four, possibly. Because okay. Roscommon would have beaten Kildare by more than Dublin would have beaten Sligo. That's just what I'm thinking. You don't, think Roscommon could do? You think that Roscommon could do a good number on Kildare? A good number. I think Davy Burke is a Kildare man. He absolutely is targeting this match. He will want to um, do a number on Kildare for sure. And they could beat them by. Well, I think I, I think I think Roscommon the score the scores they've put up and they've been scoring over one twenty in, in different matches. Um, now the weather has has played a part in that, but. I think Roscommon could be Kildare if they perform like I think they will by eight or nine points. And then if Dublin... I know, it's better. Listen, that's I, a fiery... That is fiery. And that's with no d- disrespect to Kildare because... That's total disrespect to Kildare because that's you saying Kildare are... Kildare are so hot and cold. Kildare could come out and, and sweep Roscommon away tomorrow. But it, I just don't think it's going to no, happen. No, but you're saying that, that, that your predicted outcome here is Roscommon by eight or nine points. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Wow. I've said it now, so it's fiery hot. I just think Rusk, Davy Burke, he 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 is such a game by game manager, and I mean, what I mean by that is he is tactically astute and can develop. You saw it with the possession game against Dublin, uh, forcing Dublin to come and get the ball, like, and then against Sligo the following week, did the same kind of uh, adapted the game to, to fit Sligo. So I think they'll they'll have a plan for Kildare and they'll they'll run with it. Like, with that game is on in. That's in O'Connor Park and Tullamore. Mm. So uh, at the same time, of course, Dublin Sligo's in, in Breffney. So 
It'll be interesting. All games at the same time. Uh, Barry Power saying, what excuse will you use when we lose tonight? Like, we did leave the door open for that being a possibility, Barry Power, but um, we're sort of, I mean, I hope, not unlike yourself, hoping that we can get the job done tonight and also putting, I think, a reasonable case together as to why that might happen. Yeah. After that, it's sport, and that's why we watch it, and we, will, we shall see what happens. Uh, Neil McEnany says, Blur proved themselves many years ago to be far beyond these debates. All great musicians, changing sound. I said that already, more akin to you too. Cahill Madden says, up the banner. Um, a car crash. Did we do this already? Oasis had one good album. That was another, I did read that earlier Frank on. Frank says, uh, trimming the side of one's head isn't really a haircut, more akin to a shave. It's a fade, though. <sighs> you know, it's kind of... It's trimmed with scissors at the top and then it's shaved at the uh, bottom. James McCullough says Maddox Street Preachers were the pinnacle of music back in the 90s and they've continued uh, creating great music to this day. They stood the test of time while all the others fell by the wayside. And Michael Wells says the Verve then stand alone as the all, uh, above all the rest considering Ashcroft's solo stuff is sublime. Super Furry Animals were top for me at that time. There's a lot of opinions here on, on the old school music. Uh, sorry, Car Crash, says Michael on YouTube, but Oasis had more than one good album. That's a bit unfair. Their first two albums still stand up, and I would propose their B-sides, Master Plan he has, uh, are much better than the songs on the album. They did have an awful lot of amazing B-sides. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to disagree. I, I don't want to put my neck out there. I'm, in, I'm more on the Oasis side of things, probably. Yeah, yeah, you'd be you'd be one to go with the flow like the, uh-huh. that's you know. Oh, you're more vast hipster, majority of people. That's uh, right. Well, I mean, I thought it was kind of hipster until I've seen Manicure Preachers, Super Furry Animals, The Verb, Verb coming in. Somebody mentions uh, Frank says, "What about the often forgotten Space?" Spider was a great album. Uh, the Female of the Species. Anyone for anybody who can't who's like who's Space? Female of the Species. No. I love space. I have the NASA sticker on the front, but I mean, F- female of the species. Do you know? No, I'm not going with that. You, you don't even know. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Unfamiliar. Unfamiliar. Yeah. You will hear that tune later on. You'll go, ah, space. I'm with you now. Mm. I mean, given the name, I would have thought you'd have been all over that. No. Even Kathy says me that nobody has a clue what you're talking about. Um, respect to Oasis, the ability to make every song sound the same. I got away with it, says Danny Mac. Harsh. Uh, and then this is my favourite of all the comments this morning the Francie Brady says a debate about one of the most mundane and overhyped as the Brits love to do periods of music evolution can we talk about anything else blurred oasis are not comparable different styles <laughs> I mean you he were you, you were you were right there the Francie Brady you were right there until you committed to contributing to the debate yeah. right at the very end love it so thanks for that there's a million comments coming in on that I don't know what's happening with people this morning but we will uh, potentially come back to that um, a little bit later in the show <laughs> You are watching uh, OTBM. We're live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shaver. Your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Will will be up a little bit later on with his hurling power rankings before all of that. Delighted to say we're joined on the line by uh, the Examiner Senior Sports Writer, Morris Brosnan. Morning, Morris. Morning, lads. Where do you fall down on that debate? I was uh, always Oasis growing up, but as I became more and more of a disenfranchised Man United fan and saw all the, the city carry on, it kind of disenfranchised me from the band. So I'd fall down on, on your side on that one. Of, of any other side, I suspect, on that basis. Exactly, yeah. We uh, were just chatting to Pat's Bland there about the Sligo-Dublin game and <clears throat> asking him about the case for Sligo here and obviously the permutations of needing to better Kildare's result against Roscommon, uh, pointing out that Dublin are uh, not at their strongest. Maybe it's a good time to be playing them. What's your expectation of the outcome from that game and that group? Uh, yeah, so the other game in that is a lot more interesting, um, which I suppose we can talk about in a second. But just from a Sligo perspective, it's interesting. If you sat down at the start of the year, and I think Tony McAfee is on record in saying this, and asked what their their goal was, I think they would have said, get promotion from Division 4. That was their main priority. Make a Connell final. And uh, after uh, everything after that was essentially bonus territory. 
Whereas now, I, I spoke to Paddy O'Connor, their, their foot forward during the week, and he's kind of adamant this isn't bonus territory. Bonus territory for them is making it out of the group. That was their goal all along. That draw at the very start makes that a very realistic proposition. Um, and I think they have to be realistic about it and be kind of open to the idea that as long as they can limit the score difference here and try and stay relatively close to, to Laird, that's that's success for them. It's the it's a downfall in this whole championship structure, Adrian. It's the reason it hasn't captivated people is that you could have situations where teams have lost, you know, in some cases three games in a row and they're still ending up qualifying for the, the knockout stages. But from a team's perspective, yeah, you have to be realistic, draw a circle around it and uh, and try and tick that box. We're still trying to figure out the answer to that question. Like, um, I'm always sort of amused by the debate around is it a good system or not? Like, I think let it play out and let's see, particularly over the over the closing rounds. But, like, you might have a situation where both Sligo and Kildare get beaten and Kildare will go through with a single point. I mean, I don't know what the conclusion to that is. It definitely um, is unusual. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's funny, the more you talk to players and management the more you kind of realise they, they seem to like this system. But David Burke is speaking this week just about what the benefit he's gotten out of that and how styles make fights. They might set up a certain way against Dublin and do a totally different thing against Sligo um, in the high. I was at that game, actually. And then on the flip side, you've got other man, Park Joyce has said the same, a very similar thing. I think Colin Collins last week said something similar. Players seem to get a lot of joy out of it. But when you talk about whether or not we like the system or whether or not the players and management like the system, that's that's irrelevant, really. The, the thing is, it has to capture the public, too. The, the public has to be, come up with this system. That was what killed the Super 8s, effectively, in the end. Is people kind of lost interest, by, especially by the last those last rounds where it ended up being dead rubbers. And I would be concerned we're doing the same thing again, that the public, for whatever reason, just haven't been, been captured by this. The attendances have been pretty stark. I think the, there would have been, an, I'd say, an element of concern when you look at some games this weekend that you would have been convinced. If I'd said to you six months ago that Galway and Armagh are playing in Carrick on Shannon when there's still a lot on the line, I mean, that we would expect that game to sell out within hours. And when I checked this morning, there's still tickets available for that game. Yeah. I, people have drawn the comparison of what happened to qualifying last year. But if you just go back to the league this year, that was in the box. That was the same day Ireland played England. At the same time, I think, actually, wasn't it? That Ireland played England <laughs> on a Saturday night. And there was over 10,000 at that game. And for whatever reason... The same people just aren't aren't coming out right now. How do you assess Morris where Kildare are at at the moment? Because you think back to the Leinster semi-final against Dublin and it was a, a good performance, could have got a result out of it. And then what's happened since, the draw with Sligo, the nine-point defeat to, to Dublin in, in the repeat game in Nolan Park. It's it's really, really hard to know where they're at. And as I said earlier, they're hot and cold. Yeah, exactly. You've hit it in one there. It's, it's impossible. I can't answer that question, Shane. <laughs> it's impossible to know where Kildare are at. They're just a complete yo-yo team. They seem to strike. So after this, the Sligo game, we asked David Burke about the way they, because that was the week after they played Dublin, we asked him about how they had played, how they set up against Dublin. And he said that when he watched Galera play Dublin in the Leinster Championship, I'm talking about now, that, that set the template. That was what they adopted to get their draw in Crow Park, which I thought was an interesting thing. And then you fast forward a couple of weeks later and Galera do something totally different, like completely different when they meet Dublin again. Um, they're way more open, which to a certain extent is laudable, but it wasn't ever going to, to win them the game. So it's really hard to get an accurate gauge on the team. They've changed it up a lot. Kevin Feely started full forward against Ligo. He was coming on off the bench a week later. Um, we don't really know what's going on with Daniel Flynn. Paddy Woodgate inside is incredibly talented forward. They have, this is the, it's a classic thing. Is, I'm sure it's an answer you've heard before. They have all what you would want on paper, but there seems to be no definable style, no progression week on week. It's Yeah, it's a really hard question. So I wouldn't be I mean, if you're trying to predict that game, you wouldn't be overly confident that they'll um, 
they'll adapt what you would need to do against Roscommon. So I, I think that's a huge game for, for David Burke. Now, it, I don't think it's necessarily as big a, a difference as some people might. Like he's managed against his club in the past. I don't know if the Calair stuff would be weighing mm-hmm. his mind as much as it would. But just purely from terms of what's on the line, the fact that they could still absolutely could still top that group, I think uh, that's a, a huge game for Roscommon. And I, it's just hard to have any faith in Calair. Shane is very much with you on that. He's trying to sort of uh, back out of his position here, uh, Morris, from, from pre-show, but I'm holding to account. He feels that Kildare could get done by eight or nine points and Sligo could squeeze through. Is that a likely outcome in your view? Yeah, it is. Like, it's just as likely, in my mind, that Kildare end up winning this game and we're all <laughs> raving about them again because, as, as I mentioned, they definitely have it on uh, on paper. I think from a Sligo perspective as well, the, the, the one thing you would worry about is... So, I mean, there's obviously there's a huge gulf between, we've heard this before, between the lower division teams and top division teams. And the one thing you would worry about is that they were right there in the mix with uh, Roscommon for about 50 minutes. They actually, Alan Riley scored a great goal, a bit long kick out Sean Carbine. And then, so I put the, when Roscommon put the foot down, sorry, they just weren't able to, to stay with them. And this is just inevitable. This is, there's no way you can prepare for the athleticism that's at the top teams. But this, that's the one real clear advantage Dublin would have. So there's every chance that you're looking at that Dublin Sligo game thinking, geez, like we're in with a shout here right up until that final quarter and then Dublin usually kill teams there. Yeah. So that is, that's uh, Group 3. That's on Sunday. And you mentioned Galway Armagh. So let's go to Group 2 also on Sunday. All of these games will throw in at the same time. You've Galway Armagh in Carrick and Shannon, then Tyrone, Westmeath and Cavan. Um, the, just on that Galway Armagh game, I, you mentioned about the ticket sales, which has become a talking point in light of the fact that they wanted to play at Croke Park, which I felt was never to do with attendance, more to do with them trying to get a bit of exposure to playing there for potential benefit later in the year. But no shortage of recent games to try and track a prediction for Morris between the two of them. And despite the fact that Armagh could easily have won both last year's championship game and the league game this year, it does feel like Galway are just a far better team than them right now. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny you went from, we went from talking about Kildare to talk about Armagh because they are, in a lot of ways, in a in a similar boat, I think. It's the classic thing that even though their, their provincial record wasn't that strong and they haven't won any silverware and they're also relegated from... Um, Division One this year, you still would have a bit of a bit of expectation around them because of what you see on paper. They're they're totally hamstrung by this weekend's Asian in terms of the not having Reid O'Neill. I think that's a, a huge loss. And on top of that, I mean it's hard to know with this new teams have to be submitted on, on Thursday nights and our man named their team last night. Um I would be I would be stunned if that team starts. It's just very hard to see how that was deemed to be the option that, you know, they've got Callum Comiskey who for all intents and purposes is a is a defender named as in the half forward line, which so they're really going to set up with. I just I would just be very surprised if they set set up with that format. Um, and on the flip side, Galway have done ticked basically every box that's been asked them. They've developed their squad really really well from last year. That was their the one killer. Talking about teams being right there, stride for stride, right until the last quarter. Galway matched Kerry for fifty five minutes effectively in an Ireland final last year, and just probably didn't have the reserves they needed. And they've gone about it very diligently filling that up so they got Ian Burke back they got Peter Cook back they've been two, two huge additions on top of that John McCurran who missed all of last year with um, a shadow kneecap he's back on the bench at the weekend Keelan O'Kareen who anybody who watched the goal in the trenches this year he was a very exciting centre, centre forward was drafted into a the senior squad just for exposure was so good that he was added to the 26 for this weekend so they're really developing they're two teams that if you go back to that Ireland qualifying I think their trajectories have been totally different since then Galway have I think all the box they've done all that's asked for them there's fine margins between what has separated them teams, but at the same time, I think Galway are, yeah, they're on a similar path. I, I still think, I think this game could still be incredibly close because of the, 
the nature of these groups and that it's not a, a do or die game but in terms of long term prospects you'd feel a lot more confident about Galway yeah, and the Rio O'Neill factor as well might go against Armagh. But I, I was at, I was in Mullingar a few weeks ago for the Galway Westmead game, and it was like so nip and tuck for about fifty minutes. Westmead get a red card, changes the complexion of the game. Now, to be fair, Galway, regardless, would have would have won and had a hatful of goal chances, particularly in the first half that they should have won it by an awful lot more. But the red card happens to Rick and Ellen. Comer comes in. He's to be honest hobbling around the pitch at times in a way that I thought. Jesus, even when the game was done, like get him out of there. He kicks a couple of well, like worldly scores and, and Galway is over the line. Is there any update? Because he was obviously injured enough in that game not to start him. Any update on him? Well, he's, yeah, he's back in. He's named to start. Now, as I mentioned, this stuff is, there is variance in this. There's certain teams who, so every team will submit a 26 and there's a standby list which isn't made public. But every team can resort that if there's, uh, if there's an injury. So just for example, I think Mayo... In almost every championship this game this year have turned to their standby list. So they've, they've, they've named the 26 as they all do um, on the Thursday. But, you know, some teams don't do, I'm sure, this is, some teams like to train on a Friday night, for example, Adrian. Some teams like to name their team on a Zoom on a the day before a game. That's just the way they, the, the nature of it. So it's hard to put too much stock in the teams that were named yesterday. But as of right now, uh, Comer is named and fit and he's going to start. Um, they've I, they've gone, kind of gone full bore, effectively. They've got this Burke, Walsh, Homer are all are, are all in there. But yeah, he has been. It's no surprise. Like he missed. He went down when he went down against Roscommon in Per Stadium in the league. There was a lot of concerns about the nature of that, and the injury, the way he jarred it, and that just has to be managed for the rest of the year. And that's another reason. Just on the and again, why I think the players and management put more stock in this current system than the public are is because they don't want those three games in a row. Because inevitably, it is just absolutely inevitable you're going to pick up an injury or two game on game, and those that's the difference between winning and losing in a quarterfinal. You look at Kerry now, for example, the, the fear Gavin White isn't named in their 26. The fear is that if they have a game next week, are you going to rush them back to try and get them to play? Because that's going to be a, a be a knockout game. Whereas if they just had that bit of leeway to resort, solve all that kind of stuff, it would have given them so much more comfort, I think. And I, I think that's the same for, for a lot of teams. I think it wouldn't be one bit surprised to see teams pick up knocks as they go. Because mm. the nature of this is that while we all want to be playing games, you don't want to play games week on week on week because inevitably you're just going to pick up wear and tear. Tyrone Morris, like, Enda McGinley was, was speaking during the week, and he genuinely believes they're, they're strong dark horse contenders for the All-Ireland this year, and you think back to the, the Monaghan game in Oma earlier in the summer in the Ulster Championship, and, and they lose that one later on, but what they've done since has been slowly progressive and, and, and almost impressive as well, the win against Armagh, um, and, and, and even the defeat to Galway, you could give them a little bit of leeway for that one, but uh, of course, the uh, fourteen men for the majority of it. So, are Tyrone coming uh, like in a, in a scary enough way for other teams because they're kind? Of, it's kind of under the radar almost. Yeah, you, you might sense a team here, lads. I think their their ceiling is very high. Their floor is pretty low as well, and we've seen both this year. Like they they've been able to mix the good and the bad, oftentimes within the same game. I, I did think the the Armagh game should have been uh, a bit more of a cause for concern. Like it was all there for them to. Put the, you know, put the foot down. Really, kind of send out a, a mark here. You're at home. You're, you're up to. You're a, a, an extra man. This was the big thing we'd heard about the Galway game. Is that Stirling were hamstrung because they were playing with, with 14 men. You couldn't read really that tangent that performance. And then a week later, they just don't take advantage of it in the way that you would like to see them. Way and in multiple different ways. So they're trying to force shots. I won't say Shmuley Donnelly dropped the shoulder, tried to go past the man, and pops the ball back out to Michael McKernan, who takes kind of a a low percentage shot from near the wing and it goes wide and you're thinking okay this is probably a stage of the game where you need to try and manage it and keep the ball 
And then when they try and do that, it nearly ends in disaster with Niall Morgan dropping the ball at his feet and they very nearly end up conceding a, a goal at the end. So they're, like, from the flashes of good we've seen, they absolutely are capable of winning in Ireland. There's no doubt about that. From the flashes of bad we've seen, they wouldn't win a quarterfinal. Last one for me on Group 2 um, before we go into the, the other games in, uh, on Sunday in Group 1. Uh, David Brady was on with us here a month ago and he predicted that Westmeath would win a game in Division 2. Now he's down to uh, the last one and it seems like fairly unlikely. I'm not sure, to be honest, which of us was grieving more after the Armagh game. But anyway, <laughs> Westmeath needing a five-point win over Tyrone um, in in Cavan there to prog- uh, progress or any win uh, in Galway would, if if Galway could do them a scoring favour, which may be, um, may be less unlikely. But that uh, order of... Um, uh, that table, let me just get it up here in front of me, into Galway, Armagh, Tyrone and Westmead. Um, what's your sense? Like a Galway, Tyrone, Armagh, Westmead might be a likely top to bottom in that come come close to play. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. And that means Armagh are, are going away. So Armagh could very feasibly end up going away to Kerry next week. That's the, again, that's the benefit of this. I, that's the reason I like this system, that there's, there is a significant consequence of coming territory, going away to potentially a very big game in that so from uh, I, yeah I, I'll agree with you I think Kerry and Tyrone are one and two are match three and Westmead that, that Armagh game was was a killer like that was just that was our chance for a win that was a game they should have won uh, and I just don't foresee it this weekend unfortunately Adrian yeah, that's the interesting it's so interesting the way it, that's the way the groups have panned out like you say Armagh could well be going away to Kerry next week and yet it's also quite likely this weekend that you know Kerry get the win against Louth and Cork, I mean, if you're looking at it again, that there could be a, I don't want to say surprise, but if Cork were to beat Mayo, you know, it's not the most unlikely scenario where you could you could have Kerry finishing top of that group. Although, albeit that it'll, it could come down to, to scoring different. To, to, to head, you head. could have Mayo, Cork, Kerry all on four points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, see, Mayo at the moment are on four points, Kerry on two, Cork on two, and Louth on zero. Yeah, it's, it's possibly most likely, I guess, Morris, that Kerry would finish second. If if Mayo win, the, the the game that you would have most intrigue about this weekend for me, anyway, lads, is I think that's the the headline game is the the carry. Uh, sorry, the Mayo Cork game. Yeah. I think there's yeah. there's a huge amount of just in in every sense, there's a huge amount of intrigue in this game uh, from a bunch of ways on the sideline, on the pitch, from what's the consequences in the group. Like if you break it down, so Kevin Walsh is in coaching uh, Cork right now. Kevin Walsh had a great record against Mayo. He he brought out a book during COVID, which was brilliant, like a really good GA resource and a really good coaching manual. But because it was during COVID, it didn't have a launch and probably went, to my mind, it went slightly under the radar how good that book was. But interestingly, I mean, just go through it. A lot of the things he talked about coaching-wise is how he set up against Mayo and was able to, he, he breaks the pitch down to five lanes and the two, three, four, the middle lanes, basically. He'd clog them up, force Mayo out to the channels and turn them over, give them up to them short. And that was against Stephen Rochford, who's now in as the assistant manager for, <laughs> for Mayo. And also in that book, he dedicated a lot of time to their rivalry with Roscommon. And when Roscommon bet them in the kind of final and the Roscommon manager who marched on the sideline to shake his hand early, Jose Mourinho style, who was Kevin McStay. And he got him back a year later. Made sure, and this is all, you know, this is all on the record. Went back, made sure to enjoy that interaction when they bet uh, Roscommon and Doreen uh, in the kind of final a year later and shook his hand too. So you've all that intrigue. But then there's just what that means for on the field, I think is really interesting, particularly in the context of the the Louds game. If you like, the traditional analysis of Mayo for a couple of years now has been that when they have open road in front of them, they're electric. They're such an athletic team. They're incredibly. They just can just tear teams apart. When you drop off and 
force them to kind of break down a set defence. They will end up taking pot shots. They might run down blind alleys. And the fact that Mayo had no seeming answer to that against Loud, I think is really interesting. I, I think it is... I, I don't foresee Cork being necessarily very open this weekend, but I think if they do the same thing again, there's a bit of pressure on Mayo to prove to most of all themselves that they can deal with this system, that they know how to, to pull it apart, that they're capable of doing it. You know, if you go back to the Kerry game, actually, just uh, on that team, right? In the first half, Kerry tried to play open front foot football and Mayo effectively tore them apart. In the second half, and a lot there was a lot of moaning about this in Killarney at the time, Kerry dropped off. They they conceded the kick out. They're lining players up along their own, their 45, not to the loud extreme now, back on their own 45, on, on Mayo's 45. But mm. they let Mayo got it off short. But if you just look at the outcome of that, in that game, there's, there's 21 kickouts in total, right? And you can divide it 50-50, let's say, so 11 go long and 10 go short. And from the 11 go long, they score 1-6. That's, you know, a long ball. Aidan O'Shea catches it in the middle, wins a free, immediately turns, moves the ball up, and Noam McLaughlin scores a goal. But from those, the other half of all that went short, they only scored three points because they're trying to w- run through every single line. So Cork can double down on that. And then suddenly the ball is in Mayo's court. How are they, they going to deal with it? Can they deal with it? Because if they can't deal with it, every single team is drawn a circuit around that. And for the rest of the summer, they're going to meet the same thing again and again and again. Uh, we should mention the the Group 4 that we haven't touched on as well, Morris. Uh, the Mini Ulster Championship plus Clare. Uh, Clare, of course, the only team relegated, or not relegated, yeah. but uh, not, not able to progress going into this last round of fixtures. Um, like I was at the Monaghan Clare game the last day. Monaghan impressive, 123. Um, a lot of different scores, good spread as well. Um, and, and Jack McCarnham is just supreme. Nine points and eight of those from play. Um, and, and Donegal, I watched that game as well against uh, against Derry. Oshin Gallen was supreme in that one. Um so it's kind of come down to the, so the way that the table lies and that one Monaghan currently top uh, themselves in Derry level on points and scoring difference but Monaghan nudge it on, on points scored um, you'd imagine Derry playing a Clare team with, with nothing to play for would have the advantage heading into this weekend although Monaghan will, will, will fancy the Donegal game in Oma as well Morris Yeah and but added into that as well Shane that Derry gave Clare a good hiding in the, in the league as well you could see them um, running the table effectively this weekend mm. unfortunately the other game, I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Donegal have, from the down semi-final, their recovery has been fairly admirable in terms of that they didn't let it slide. They put in a very credible performance. I mean, they were 6-1 down against Clare and you were starting to fear about their prospects in this entire group. And from that point to now, they've shown loads of elements of um, of good coaching. As you mentioned, Oshin Gallen has been has been absolutely electric. I think Monaghan are, I would argue, probably one of the best coach teams in the championship. And they're also a testament to the whole point of this structure which is you kind of learn game on game the way they fixed their flaws from the Ulster semi-final versus when they played Derry again in the round robin I think was was pretty incredible so you'd I, you'd still give Monaghan the edge on that one they're probably a testament as well to a team that can strike that balance between what we've seen a lot now recently which is the reserve kind of defensive football but they also are well able to mix and you know you mentioned those nine points Jack McCarran scored the most impressive thing that I saw him doing that game was the crossfield pass in the oh, second half which was just Torino tool, yeah ridiculous yeah, it was bad foot yeah, that, like that was that was ridiculous. That's a pass that you hear oftentimes. You can't play those passes anymore. And when they don't come off, Shane Walsh against Armagh in the quarterfinal last year, you're you're tearing your hair out. But when they do, they're just absolutely electric. And it's especially when you've got these overloads on one side of the pitch and you can just flick a ball as easily as as he can. That stuff is invaluable. And that I don't think that happens. Uh, it's not it, totally off the cuff. Like there's always there's a means to that man. If you Oftentimes you see Derry are so good at this as well, and this is what I think Monaghan were adapting. They bring a lot of players over to one sideline, the space grid on the other side, and then if you can get a, a quick crossfield ball, you're you're creating space. So I think Monaghan are, are moving nicely. I would fancy them to 
to beat Donegal this weekend. And I there's not many teams that would want to play them the way they're improving game by game for the rest of the championship. Um, just before we let you away Morris you've been writing in the examiner this morning about Mark O'Connor's 100th appearance for Geelong and remarkably only the 6th ever Irish player to do it yeah it's probably an achievement that goes under the radar here just naturally it's so far away it's a sport that we probably don't know a huge amount about and on top of that it falls in the middle of a, an absolutely blockbuster GA calendar which people just don't have the I suppose the space to, to deal with it but I think it's, it's a kind of a remarkable achievement and he's a He's a testament to a guy, Asian, who like from, from minute one, he was probably destined to be an elite star if he wasn't so hamstrung with injuries. Like He was crippled with knee issues right until before he left, basically. And it's probably what the motivating factor is why he went to the exposure to a professional environment and the rehab and doctors and all that that comes with it. And from so resolving that, I think he, you know, he, he wasn't actually able to run at all before he left. So there's a place at West Kerry Fitness. It's a, it was a bowling alley and they converted it to a gym in Dingle. And he just spent every single day upstairs there emptying himself on a watt bike. Arrives at the club very light, but incredibly fit. And the Geelong do this, it's a 15 minute, you just run as basically as hard as you can for 15 minutes. Just keep, 15 minutes doesn't sound that long, but when you're going flat out amongst Aussie Rules players, it is pretty difficult. And he blitzed that. So straight away, there was a bit of like, they expected, they expect guys who are arriving to maybe be in the bottom 10%. I think he was the opposite. So there was a bit of excitement immediately about what he was going to end up going on to do. And from that point on, he just excels, like makes his debut after eight rounds, I think. He's in their leadership group after three years. He's now breached 100 games and he's still only 26. Um, it's kind of a, a remarkable rise. I'd say there's, there's carry people watching on thinking, <laughs> wouldn't we love to have him, particularly now with David Moore and gone and the, the bit of a void that's in midfield. And on top of that, he comes home for Dingle last year and just shows glimpses of, like he could still be a, an electric game footballer. So I wouldn't allow to possibly have seen him for Kerry again, but the story in itself is, is pretty remarkable and what he's achieved. And on top of, I mean, he is, he's in that six for 100 games, but he also, he's only one of three to win uh, a premiership along with Ty Kennelly and, and Zach Toey. So it, it's a fairly remarkable career. He's the youngest of them all. There's, there's absolutely no doubt that it'll only continue to, to rise and rise. Yeah, he might do a Ty Kennelly on it at some point and come back. Uh, Morris, enjoy the games over the weekend. Catch up with you down the track. Thanks, guys. Thanks, million. Morris Brosnan there, senior sports writer with the Irish Examiner. It's 13 minutes past nine. You're watching OTB AM. Uh, Stone Roses are nearly a band all out on their own, mm. asks Michael. Had that Manchester influence, but still very unique. Radiohead, which I can't believe we haven't mentioned them up to now. And Maddox Street Preachers are both excellent and aged really well. Stone Roses, top top, top the list for me OK so far Computer, possibly one of, the gra- one of the greatest albums of all time. Oof. Remove the possibly. Wow. You're throwing out the hyperboles this morning. Uh, Fergus Keogh had said before that, can I toss Radiohead and the Stone Roses into the 90s Brit band debate? For sure you can. We'll have any of that. Uh, um, uh, Babylon Zoo's baseman, as uh, Bangor was saying, we had that already. Um, la, 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 la. Uh, for Scott McBeakle there by eight or nine points, they'll be second in the group as Dublin will uh, shred Galway, says Fergus Keogh. Uh, Keen Rowe says that I'm getting Sorry, a Dublin crack- shred Galway. Dublin, did I say Goblet? Dublin Sligo. Shred Sligo. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Keen Rowe saying that I'm getting a cracking tan. Well, there you go. I'm spending a lot of time on the sidelines this week. The last few weeks. Factor 50. Mini All-Irelands are on oh. the club and there's like over, um, I don't know how many hundreds of kids are down there, but it's... Where are they on? My young fella's managing, uh, managing, my young fella's captaining Limerick. So the four games so far, Shane. Armband? Two wins, two, two losses. No armband, he's just, I'm just trying to uh, talk to him about the basics of a captain leading, still leading, leadership by, skills. leading by examples right, by right. example yeah. Tell him to give me he's a getting stuck in he's really yeah. getting stuck in to be honest he's 
Brilliant. He's flying it. At that age, you find from game to game, sport to sport, day to day, they're really concentrated and into it and they look like they're going to set the world alight. Yeah. And then they're like practising different dance moves and staring at the sky and... The whole Fortnite stuff and all. can happen, like... Yeah, do they like do the kids at that age? I, I've seen a, the thing on on social media before. The kids that age start to bless themselves when they walk out on the in pitch. the soccer, yeah, and then they so- put the two hands up for the corner. You see, the same they don't kids even know what they're doing. Playing soccer in GA, and it's just they they had the mini World Cup the previous weekend, mm. uh, where he was playing for Holland. Yeah, temperamental and the big uh, and the big stages. Was <laughs> the shorts right there? What happened? But um, incredible movement and community, I must say. Right, amazing, amazing setup. They've d- they've done really good um, jerseys from this year as well. They're, mm. they're, uh, so I'm, they're in their final today, Shane. Two wins and two evening. defeats. Yeah, so that's they're, they're that's good. That's good learnings both both ways. Exactly, exactly. Best luck to them in the final. Yeah. Um, so that is that. Uh, the debate about the uh, <laughs> the debate about the uh, bands has really set the comments alight this morning and do keep that coming into us uh, before all of that here's what's coming up on the OTP Podcast Network today it is a little bit of John Giles uh, from Thursday night uh, last night with Will you'll have your football daily uh, dose as well and Keen Tracy on all things rugby including Sean Klein as you can see on your screen there after the ads uh, Will O'Callaghan's uh, hurling power rankings some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. All right, 20 past nine, you heard in the ads there. Will, welcome, by the way. Good morning to you. He's there, he's there. We'll hear from him in a second. That clip that you heard was Will in uh, full Technicolor and the latest episode of the Hurling Pod. Paul Murphy, James Gahill talking about uh, meeting the pod cult hero Johnny Glynn at the Leinster final and how he's coming back to Ardran. So uh, Hurling, it's anyone's game. Off the Ball has teamed up with the Senior Hurling Championship sponsored Board Gosh Energy to uncover stories highlighting the positive impact Hurling has had on people's lives. For full competition details, you can visit boardgoshenergy.ie slash BGEGAA. Well, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are we? Good. Did any more come of that Johnny Glynn story? Was that just like a bit of a, I'll lash that out there and see what happens? Uh, a little bit. I mean, basically two cult heroes from the pod this week came up in prominence from Crow Park at the weekend. One being Johnny Glynn, who went in to watch Galway against Kilkenny, having played for New York against Carlo in the Talton Cup the day before. And it was one of those where the WhatsApp group was pinging all day because Murphy and Scale decided to go to the Leinster final together and then still come back and do the live pod afterwards. And first of all, I get a message from Murphy saying, you're not going to believe who we've bumped into. And there it is, the photo with Johnny Glynn. The lads are having a bit of a chat and Skell's doing his best to try and convince him to come back and play for Galway. Now, if he is going to come back in two to three week periods to play for Iran, that is a massive boost for them uh, for the Galway Club Championship to have him coming back from New York. My understanding from the other conversations that happened with James Skell is that he's still going to be based in New York, but he wants to come back and play in this summer for club. And then they Which he's done before. He's done before, yeah, so, but it's a huge commitment to do that for your club. Then the guys bump into Showtime Murph, who's a regular contributor in the YouTube comments, and he pops over and buys them a pint in the Crow Park Hotel first. And then Mikey Butler, Paul Murphy's official favourite player ever, scores a remarkable goal in the Leinster final as well. So it was a day for cult heroes at Crow Park for the guys in the pod. And it meant that we had a sign that went up in the middle of our live podcast at the weekend, which said, I love Mikey Butler over the head of Paul Murphy. So he's officially confirmed uh, his love for a guy who has succeeded him as Kilkenny cornerback. Yeah, he's a big hit, all right, with Kilkenny fans, it must be said. So let's get into it, Will. 
Um, I was trying to tap you up for a bit of an insight last night, but you were uh, keeping your cards very close. I tried to be cryptic, otherwise you we were so away cryptic. the whole conversation. Absolute first, professional, yeah. which which I would totally expect from you. Go on, bring us, lead us on here. Well, okay. I imagine we want to start towards the bottom of the power yeah. rankings then. So um, only three of the teams in the bottom half have actually played since we spoke last about the power rankings. And Mead have to be respected for what they've done this year. A double winning Division 2A of the National Hurling League and then completing the Christie Ring the week before last. Uh, so they're up to 17th. Kildare go down to 18th. As you mentioned before, such a disappointment for Kildare with the way that the summer went, uh, given that they got to the final in Division 2A against Offaly, had played reasonably well in Port Leash, before that and you're thinking this is a good platform for them going into championship in the Joe McDonough but then they were relegated so they will go down to the Christie ring uh, with Meath coming up to the Joe McDonough as Division 2B champions from this season as well so Meath up to 17 Kildare down to 18 down Kerry Leash haven't played since we spoke last Offaly stay in the same position. They were in 13th ahead of the Joe McDonough Cup final, beaten by Carlo, who were in 12th place. So Carlo going up to the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship for next season. Your own Westmead going down, Antrim going up as a result of their relegation on the final day of the Leinster Championship, where they lost out to Antrim. And they thought that Kilkenny were going to do them a favour against Wexford. But Wexford surviving on the last day with that remarkable win, a dramatic win as well against Kilkenny. And I know the Westmead players were huddled around at the end of the game because they finished 10 minutes uh, before the Wexford game due to the crowd congestion at Wexford Park. And they really felt that Kilkenny had got a late goal, but it was disallowed. And in the end, Wexford stay in the Leinster Championship for next year. Westmead have to rebuild in the McDonough and they drop down to 11th place. So that explains the bottom half of the power rankings, lads. Any yeah. questions or points on that? No, so far? no, no, nothing to be said. It was a bizarre season for Westmeath, and uh, everything <laughs> looked so amazing at one point, and then it all went to the proverbial. I'm just upset that the, the Laurie Marr champions uh, aren't in it, uh, the top 18 at the moment, Monaghan. I know they. I, I knew you'd, I knew you'd be fighting for that, Shen. Yeah. Monaghan is a dual, dual county now, Will, in case you didn't didn't know. And I would encourage that entirely, by the way. And I'd encourage anyone to listen to Martin Fogarty, who spoke to us a few weeks ago about the development plan to try and get hurling going in Ulster and maybe where that is at this point. But I made a kind of a clear outline about the way we were going to do this at the start, that basically you had to be in the top 18 to get onto the power rankings. I had a few Mead fans when they were going well in Division 2B of the league saying, hey, where are we on the power rankings? I said, if you win Division 2B, you'll get into the top 18. That happened They've now won the Christie ring and they're now up to the lofty height of 17th, mm. which I think is the highest we've ever had them in the earning power. It's fair, it's fair. I, I think the true spirit of the power rankings has to be that you can just do what the hell you want. Add in a team, we'll make, no, uh, make us do the anti-Seb Blatter. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I, can we call it here? Place. If, if Monaghan can get themselves up into the Joe McDonough or if they get into the top two flights in the league, I promise you, Shane, that we will have Monaghan inside the hurling power yeah, rankings that's a deal. at that point. Uh, see, Bracken has been in touch saying, should be interesting where the chips fall now in the top six in the power rankings. Reckon they'll stay the same. Well, we shall uh, We should get there, see, Bracken. You hold your, hold your horses just a second. So uh, you can just throw up that last uh, screen that we were looking at there. Cause I think it had, yeah, so this takes us up to seven, Will. So there's a couple of changes. Yeah, I mean, look, Dublin are getting ready for a preliminary quarterfinal this weekend against Carlo. Uh, so they're up to seventh place. I think Waterford, despite the fact that they beat Tipperary in the last round, uh, go down one place into eighth. Their championship has come to an end. But maybe that is a morsel of comfort, the way that they played against Tipperary uh, when the shackles were off a little bit. I thought Waterford put in a very good performance, as disappointed as Tipperary will be to have not got through to the Munster final when it seemed that it was very much in their own hands. And I think most of us had written down 
corner that was going to be Tipperary against Clare ahead of the final round of fixtures for that Munster final. Um, I think Waterford have to drop down to eighth. Wexford preserved their position in ninth, given that they stayed up in the Leinster Championship at the end. Uh, what a rocky season, but a roller coaster end to it, beating Kilkenny to stay up on the final day. So, um, yeah, doubling into seventh. If you want to throw up the graphic from six up, this is where we go. C. Bracken will either be right or wrong. C. Bracken is bang on the money. Mm-hmm. It's uh, status quo, Will, you have bottled it and refused to make any changes whatsoever. <laughs> I would like to argue the reason for this is that the power rankings back at the third week of May were so well considered that they actually played out to be what happened afterwards. But the reality is that if in some of those games, even at the weekend just gone by, if Galway managed to defend their goal in the last play of the game, and like we talk about last gasp goals sometimes, and that often is defined as a goal that goes in, but there's still one more player, two more plays afterwards. This was literally the kind of Hollywood moment where Killian Buckley, who's never scored a championship goal in his life for Kilkenny mm-hmm. at senior level, steps up, edge of the box, the ball comes back out from Park Mannion's kick, couldn't have landed to him any better. And even though it was one of the most streaky shots you'll ever see, it finds its way into the Galway net. Kilkenny do four in a row. Kilkenny have got a very direct path now to the All-Ireland final. And Galway have to go on a very, very difficult side of the draw. If that game had been blown up to play before, or if, <laughs> I don't know, Mannion had stood on the ball and TJ's free had been blocked in the line, still Galway have would have there. went up in the power <laughs> rankings. No, no, they would have went up. They wouldn't be sitting in fifth place. But... I think uh, you have to um, respect what Kilkenny have done by going four in a row by keeping them in third. Talk to us about Galway because like, they've come up short in the championship against, uh, championship against Kilkenny in the Leinster final. They Limerick and obviously in the semis. They did beat Clare in the league but again lost against some of the bigger teams. Limerick and Cork and came up um, uh, came up short there. Do, like, There's an expectation obviously with Galway that they're in the top two, three teams in the country but are they starting to have enough of a bank of results, bad results against the bigger teams to suggest that there's something amiss here? Look, I think they generally mix it very well, actually, with the best teams in the country. And that's why I'm intrigued to see Galway against almost certainly Tipperary in the quarterfinals and then potentially if they were to overcome Tip to play Limerick in a semi-final. Because I think Galway is a tricky matchup for Limerick if that does turn out to be a meeting in the last four. But... You can't help but be a little bit worried about the inconsistency about Galway so far this season, where they will put in very good periods within games. I'm thinking back to the Galway game at Nolan Park, particularly when Brian Kincannon was doing untold damage within that game. The second half, after they've been so poor and went 12 points behind against Dublin at Crow Park, and then played really well in the second half, they played well in stages of that Leinster final. It was a Leinster final that really came to life, I think, in the last 10 or 15 minutes. There was definitely a feeling in the first half, especially when we watched the Munster final, which had a huge intensity about it. As much as own Cody said, there's plenty of hurling in Leinster when he went up to collect the cup at the end. He is is correct in that but the first half kind of maybe lacked that cut and thrust that we'd seen in the Munster final but they went hammer and thongs in the last 15-20 minutes and Galway showed that they're right up there with Kenny they obviously drew in the uh, group stages of the championship as well so when Galway are on it Galway are right up there with the very very top teams it's just this year I don't think we've quite seen them come to form and they will have to be at their very best if they're to win their next couple of games uh, to get to an All-Ireland final. The difference could be huge between that goal going in. Like Quite aside from the Bob O'Keefe going back to Kilkenny, the big difference here is that Galway's path to the final is now incredibly difficult if they have to beat Tipperary and Limerick just to get to an All-Ireland final compared to being on the other side with four weeks off. There is plenty hurling in, in Leinster, as own Cody says, Will. Um, am I right in saying you're putting more of a weight on the Munster Championship, given there could be an argument to swap Tipperary and Galway in fourth and fifth? Um, I guess you're waiting and you know see what happens in that uh, expected quarterfinal between Galway and Tip, but 
Could there have been an argument to have Galway up in fourth? Yeah, look, there is definitely an argument for it. I, mean, I kind of understand where Jackie Tyrrell is coming from. He said earlier this week that he thinks Tipperary are probably the team to watch from here on out as even you know outsiders to lift the McCarthy, whatever about uh, getting into an All-Ireland semi-final when they take on Galway in a couple of weeks' time. So I think Tipperary did very, very little wrong in the Munster Championship. They were good throughout the league as well. And then the Waterford performance was the one that let them down. I look at the team that they've named this morning ahead of the Offaly game tomorrow. They're going strong. Jason Ford is back in the team. Big boost for them to have Garota Connor back fit enough to be on the bench. Uh, they look like they've got that bit of depth about them in their panel, uh, which maybe they didn't have a few weeks ago with the injuries that they'd picked up. And I believe there's a massive Tipperary support going to Tullamore tomorrow afternoon. A county board official told me on Wednesday evening that almost 7,000 tickets have been sold, the vast, vast majority of them for Tipperary supporters. Right. So it's going to feel like a Tipperary home game uh, tomorrow. I think it's very difficult for the teams who lose the Joe McDonough final to be motivated going into the All-Ireland Premier League quarterfinal. Um, it feels inevitable they will remove that from uh, the championship in the coming years as well that a team stays on to train for an additional three weeks after they've lost the biggest game of their season uh, to be rolled out against a top county and generally I and mean, we've only had one uh, team defeated so far in the preliminary quarterfinals that uh, came out of the all-ireland series and that's when dublin lost against leash in 2019 so uh, tipperary should be able to work the waterford performance out of their system uh, tomorrow afternoon in tullamore and then they can get ready to play against Galway. Venue TBC, quite a few people have DM'd me to say, where do you think the uh, quarterfinals are likely to be? And there's lots of speculation about Porky Cueve. If Tipperary involved, it won't be a doubleheader at Thurless. Thurless would seem the obvious place to host them if Tipperary aren't involved. But I would expect that Tipperary will beat Offaly, and then you're looking at maybe quarterfinals in different venues, or potentially even uh, both of them being a Porky Cueve. Very finally, very briefly, the top two. I think there'll be a lot of Clare fans obviously very disappointed after the weekend. Uh, we were at, you were asked a question about the Leinster final earlier on, so I'll go with that. If they had a squeak through, would you have changed that order or still believe that that would have stood through? Oh, it'd have to be tempting, wouldn't it? Because the All-Ireland champions have never been beaten twice in the year afterwards and then gone on to retain their crown. So it uh, would have put Limerick into a, a sticky enough position if they'd lost against Clare at home would you have twice changed in the it? championship. Um, I think I would have been very tempted to, yeah. Would, would you have changed it? Win. He, 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 he I think deal probably would. You he I like, would, he I like would. what you're dealing me towards here where it's like, you know, would you have changed it? Uh, well, I'm, giving, I'm getting a lot of political uh, responses here, Will. I want let's let's barrack him Give and me push the juice. him here. Oh, no, I, I think, yeah, I think Claire probably would have went top of the power rankings, actually, if they'd won. Because if you go to the Gaelic rounds twice in the one year and beat the All-Ireland champions, the best team that we've seen over the last five seasons, uh, you'd have to respect Clare doing that. And look, realistically, they probably should have won it. Quite aside from the free that they should have had, they should have had two frees in the closing stages of the game, which would have sent it to extra time. Clare would be left to bemoan the wides that they hit during the game as well. Clare had every chance of uh, turning over Limerick again. The question now is, Limerick, who've been top of the power rankings throughout the entire year, Will they kick on and maybe come up a couple of other gears as they go into a semi-final now after a break? Because Keane Lynch has got a bit of extra time for his hamstring to get right. We'll see if Garrod Hegarty hits a little bit more form. Aaron Galan is now playing in incredible form. Scored 111 at the weekend, uh, which was crucial for Limerick. And I heard Kieran Carey say yesterday he reckons Limerick are operating at about 50%. It's scary if they can add an extra 50% onto what they're doing now because yeah. the record in finals, Adrian, is disgustingly good. Yeah. They've played 12 finals under John Kiley. They've won all 12 of them. So well, generally when Limerick gets to the business end of a championship, 
Uh, they have what it takes to turn that into silverware. But Clare have got every reason to think that they are still major contenders in this championship. Obviously, that's why they're sitting in second place. Mm. You would think that Clare will beat Dublin or Carlow in the quarterfinals, and then they'll play Kilkenny, which is an opportunity for a measure of revenge because Clare will be so disappointed with the way they performed at Crow Park in that semi-final last year. And they would love, I would say, to reset a trilogy fight against Limerick in the All-Ireland final at the end of July. Nice one, Will. Fair play. Thank you. Cheers, lads. Talk to you soon. Power Thanks. rankings. I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time for them but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable Alright that's it uh, from us for today enjoy the festival over the weekend Shannon. Cheers Adrian. Yeah, Get the update on Monday no doubt Tuesday um, uh, Wednesday you'll see me. Wednesday oh my word this is going to be quite uh, to so be the fair, festival goes on until Tuesday does it? Uh, no. no it'll go on until uh, Monday morning but uh, the uh, the thing is I have a tent Jojo ah. famously on our on our yeah. team here behind the scenes is uh, is only bringing wait for it a hammock Right. Just where and to sleep in. Literally just a hammock. <laughs> Chatting to him. So best of luck to Jojo. OTVM, would you let Labs get the ultimate shaver of your money back in the end night edition is available. Now Monday's show, the performance ranking, post Greece reaction, Gibraltar build up, Anthony Moyles in the GA, plenty more as well besides. Have an amazing weekend. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.